Wait, are we live? Yes, we be yes, live. We are. <laughs> yes. By the way, have you noticed that John Stuart Mill is now a permanent part of our show? Yes. Yes. And we have Morty here also. We, well, I just we, named him Morty. Was, yeah, we was always here, but Susanna just named him because if I say Momento Mori every time I refer to him. So, and yes, it's a he. Um, <laughs> so, Sus just named him Morty. Um, cool. Audio is good. Thank you so much for in the live chat. So, we're going to be covering the news. We're going to be discussing the news about atheism, secularism, politics, culture, and stuff like that. Sometimes it's going to be about religion, sometimes not. Just for the people who are like, what does this got to do with religion? We just included it just to trigger you. That's why. That's why it's, it. That's why it's there. Uh, <laughs> well, this all right. is all explicitly religious. Is it? Okay, cool. Um, all right. No, I know. I just want to say that every time. You're just always looking uh, at someone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, look at this, security. Woo, let's hear some news. Do Are people excited about news anywhere else? This excited about the news anywhere else? On, True. You know, where do other people are like, yay, the news, and they're excited. But then we tell them the news, and half of it is bad news, and they're like, oh. But is, is today mostly good news or bad news? Um, It's a, it's a mix. It's a mix. Mixed bag. Okay, good. All right. All right, so let's get to the first news. Um, unless you want to add anything, no, we're good. I'm ready to okay. go. Can we clap for the first news? Um, yes, because I just think it's hilarious. All right, first news. First news right wing pastor claims gay sex disproves evolution. <laughs> so, this is one of the funniest things I've heard in a while. I knew we had to cover this. On July 11th, right-wing pastor Jack Hibbs delivered a compelling sermon in his church in the Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills, California. He claims that the sexual actions of the LGBTQ community... Wait, wait, wait. Let's start from the beginning. Your idea was... People are saying your idea was low. Actually, your idea should be fine. I'm going to increase it anyways. Should I take All it right. from the top? Yeah, take it from the top. Okay. Hold on. First hold on, news. Hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, Jesus. wait. First, wait. First news. First news. Right-wing pastor claims gay sex disproves evolution. On July 11th, a right-wing pastor, Jack Hibbs, delivered a compelling sermon in his church at the Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills, California. He claims that the sexual actions of the LGBTQ plus community are proof that God exists and that evolutionists should be against same-sex unions because gay sex is not reproductive. In a video on his YouTube channel, Hibbs alluded to the idea that God intended man to multiply. Hibbs explained that for the theory of evolution to propagate, the creatures that are evolving need to procreate. Since same-sex intercourse does not provide the necessary biological means to reproduce, therefore, quote, there would be no such thing as homosexuality. This latest attack on the LGBTQ community is not the first for Hibbs. In 
2015, Hibbs and other right-wing pastors criticized the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling that legalizes same-sex marriage. Hibbs claimed that the Supreme Court has, quote, crucified God's word. I love how so many people who talk about, you know, evolution have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, they have these very simplistic understandings of how it works and what the theory is. is. Um, and they have this one-on-one to one, you know, they think like, oh, anything that directly influences, you know, results in more children, that should be the result of evolution. Like evolution means more children and nothing else. And if it, if it goes against more children, therefore it violates the laws of evolution and therefore evolution has been disproven. If any, if we see anything in nature that does not result in more children, right? Checkmate atheists. Like they are like, they have no idea. First of all, there, we do a lot of things that we like that is beyond our evolution, right? In modern society, right? We have mm-hmm. like, we're not living in, <laughs> in caves anymore. And there's a lot of things we do that we like that was, that is harmless. That was, we weren't designed to do. Okay. However, when it comes to gay relationships, that there's actually a lot of explanations for why that behavior might be encouraged um, in nature. There's many different theories on this, and this guy didn't even bother. Like, did he not even take five minutes to look into that? Because there's a lot of them. I yeah, and I, I learned about this a lot when I was pursuing my minor in college. And I mean, I can get into some of the evolutionary theories of homosexuality if we want to but i think it'd be hilarious i sent you um or either i can pull it up or the link is in the uh the news document of the his actual statement which i think would be hilarious to watch because i watched it earlier and there were so many moments where he just was like wait what (laughs) this one yeah 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 it's a little slow in the beginning but it picks up I'll let, let you know, know if the audio's audio. good. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. Just a Come second. On. Okay. When two people of the same sex go. put together, it's out of sheer wanton lust and pleasure only for self. Nothing comes of it. No life can come from it. No family can come from it. Right. Uh, let me insert this. If you're an evolutionist, you have to be against same-sex union if you're an evolutionist. What, and by the way, where have been the evolutionists on this topic? Because, listen, if you're an evolutionist, what is one of the statements? It's the survival of the fittest, right? And in evolutionary theory, the survival of the fittest has to procreate. That's why you watch. They, they study all the animals, and there's the big elk. You know, the big bull elk. And what does he have to do every spring? He has to take on the young elks, beat them up. And the, and the strong one, the strong one, by natural selection, the strong one survives. He impregnates all the other uh, elkies. <laughs> I, 
Does? Elk? Elkettes? I don't know. The, and, and so he looks over his harem and they're all producing babies. And he's like, yes. And evolutionists say, right on. That's it. See, it's an action. The hell but if evolution's you? true, then there would be no such thing as homosexuality. Because over the last 400 trillion, billion, zillion, quadrillion, zillion, million years, evolution would have washed that out. No. Homosexuality, LBGTQ actions prove the existence of God. Because God's word says this is, would be <laughs> some of the outcome and actions of the last days. Uh, okay, well then, well that's then all go we have more gays. Then, then just go have more butt sex. Then I guess, like <laughs> for, for for God's sake, literally. <laughs> go. <laughs> I mean, not that gay people only have butt sex, but not that straight people don't have butt sex. But true, true, true. But this this makes it clear. To prove God. Go have gay sex. More people. <laughs> okay. This, exactly. This this was amazing because I've never heard anyone make the argument before that gay sex proves the existence of God. I, I was mean, like, the, this the, threw me through a loop. I think you know, gay people should be like, okay, then you owe us. <laughs> like, then why are you against us? <laughs> like. <laughs> It was so you funny. Should, so, wait, you should like you should just like expose people to more gay sex so that they believe in God, right? So you should make like yeah, you should make part of the education so people could see the glory of God. Mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, make it the glory hole, right? Of God. <laughs> I don't know. No, like make it like make it so that people could see that like God's action, you know, God's mysterious ways at play. So you're like, yeah, this disproves like show more students that evolution is false by you know demonstrating how God proves himself through gay sex. Why not? This <laughs> it was so funny. So I watched um like the rest of his sermon that he did during this, and he's like an end times pastor. Like he believes that we are living in the last days. And the funniest thing about his sermon was he was talking about, he's like, you know, I have, I have some things that I need to say during this sermon. And he started talking about the woke algorithm and how his message is going to be suppressed. And it doesn't matter because the truth is the truth. And <laughs> it was, it was, oh my gosh, it was so wild. So yeah, because of, the sexual immorality in our culture is proof that this is the last days and that his argument is that God created homosexuality so that we know when we're living in the end times because the um, promulgation or the popularity of homosexuality or gay sex is one of the notifiers of the end times. So God specifically created this so we know when the world is ending apparently. And then he's gonna he made them so that they could be used as, as like a canary in the mine, right? And then he's gonna punish them for it. Yes. Makes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes, makes total makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So like, hey, Seems I made like you totally this way. Chill guy. I made you this way so I could warn people that this is the end of times. 
and now you're going to suffer. I'm going to punish you for being the way I made you. Makes yeah, yeah, complete yeah. sense. By the way, uh, I don't know if this is true. Isn't one of the evolutionary expl explanations for... Um, not that you need evolutionary exp explanation to, to justify living no. how you want to live. Uh, you don't need that, okay? You, you, could, you could live completely unnatural lives as long as you um, are not harming anybody, okay? There, there's the appeal to nature fallacy here, okay? Not everything that is natural is good. Sometimes unnatural things are better. However... Um, so if I say this, that there might be evolutionary explanation for why there is a gay relationship, that doesn't, it's not required to justify it. You don't need justification. You just be the way you want to be. Okay. Um, it's just an however, interesting area of study. Yeah. It's just interesting. I think one explanation could be, um, you know, the same reason why nature decided to keep grandparents around even though they are now a drain on resources, right? Is to take care of more younglings um, that have, might have, have no parents to take care of them, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Which is interesting because if that is the explanation, evolutionary explanation, is happens to be so that even in the modern world, they are, <laughs> they are actually doing the same thing, even, even, even though we don't live in caves anymore, because it's a lot of gay parents who are adopting children, which is that don't need, don't have parents, right? Mm -hmm. So it's you know, so the fact that a lot of gay couples would like to adopt children, um, it's saving a lot of children from going parentless, right? Yes, but it's just a mere coincidence. Okay, I'm not saying that that uh, justifies it because you don't need justification okay but that could be one of the explanation also another another explanation could be again i don't know right is that um in social animals okay there are ways you know sex could be used as bonding rather than just procreation right mm -hmm. like mm, and bonding with same species, uh, you know, members of your own species in a tribe, it's great for the survival of the tribe, right? So given that sexual pleasure, not just between, you know, not just gay, you know, sex, straight and gay sex mm -hmm. is often used as a way for uh, animals to enjoy each other's companies and then defend each other if there's, you know, because you, you know, have emotional, chemically bonded. chemically bonded and then protect each other because they value the tribe that they're in, because it's so much fun to be in the tribe that you're <laughs> in because you're having, because <laughs> you're having so much gay sex and I, I protect my tribe because, because my boyfriend is in the tribe. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> right, I mean, that was like so. a huge thing for like Greek soldiers or Roman soldiers, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> they would be true. buried with their their boyfriend soldiers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a lot of things that might have started for procreation purposes, but then it took a life of its own mm -hmm. and became used for other purposes. You know, like you know, 
sexual relationships are not just for procreation you know yeah but especially if, especially in social animals but yeah if you're following a strict biblical interpretation even for heterosexual couples in the sanctity of marriage sex for the sake of enjoyment is not it's forbidden yeah it's supposed biblical. to be it's not supposed to be for yourself it's supposed to be for something else it's supposed to be for something greater it's supposed to be for making you know god's people as as uh, what's the phrase as mul multiplicitous as the stars. Um, yeah. And but this was funny to me because I didn't grow up in um, a community or environment where creationism was much of a thing. And so I had never heard the term evolutionist before. I was like, I I'm going to start using it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh. Like, what is an evolutionist? <laughs> This is very interesting because these idiots think that people who believe in evolution, they think that we believe that the because evolution is the thing in nature, everything that therefore societies have to be built based on standards that would make <laughs> the apparent goals of evolution successful. <laughs> like, no, that's just a thing in nature that no, happens. No one thinks that, that way. <laughs> No, that doesn't mean that just because we know that that's what something that happens in nature, that doesn't mean that we do, we have to make societies to make those things come. To, like here's here's an example. Is that is as if like we believe that the theory of gravity is true. All right. Oh, really? Okay, then the natural conclusion from that is that you have to drop everything that you see on the ground. And you have to push everyone over their standing because you believe in the laws of gravity. So you believe that all things that are up must go down. Don't you, you have believe, to take like, it upon no? yourself to enforce it? Yeah, <laughs> to enforce. Like no, that's what, what he was saying. Like, that's why evolutionists yeah. should be opposed to same-sex marriage. Because I'm like, this isn't a doctrine that we follow, dude. This is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why do people? It should be. Yeah, we should be like gravitationalists and be like anybody who climbs stairs is like illegal like it's a sin in our ideology yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're good elevators are the worst or we all turn you know, into abomination cats. we all turn into cats <laughs> where we knock everything off really <laughs> right by the way if you are like the way okay so here's the thing the way he thinks about evolutionists which is i don't know what that is but the way he thinks about that then if you want to actually, like, if anybody actually thinks like that, right, a natural conclusion from that would be, like, is, like, oh, so you believe, like, the fittest genes have to survive. Like, no, that's just how evolution works. That's not how we're supposed to operate. But, but if we did think like that, then we would be, like, okay, then I guess the natural conclusion from that should be if, if our entire goal was to be, like, the fittest genes of the strongest men have to survive. Would would you to be just I, society to identify the strongest man, right? Like maybe one out of every thousand, eliminate the rest of them, tie that man up into a temple or something, and women will just be like, you know, I don't know, like. That would be like, oh, mm -hmm. actually, I know who did that. Actually, this was Greek mythology, the Amazon. The Amazons did that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, that would be the ideal society if you were actually an evolutionist. So, well, it's kind of, I mean, it kind of gets into like it, eugenics territory, really. 
But I really I liked like, his. I, <laughs> I liked his explanation or his little vignette that he portrayed of evolutionists watching a group of elk, you know, procreate in the spring. And he's like, and they see the strongest elk and they cheer it on as it gets its harem pregnant, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who does this? What do you think we're doing? We're in a zoo, like, yeah! <laughs> Get it on! <laughs> what? <laughs> what world do you live in? Yeah. Revolution is just... Yeah, all right. These people are so, I mean, ridiculous. Still, oh, I, still I have haven't visitors. heard a good explanation for uh, homosexuality and animals from them. Oh, do you have a creature with you? <sighs> Here's proof of evolution oh. right here. I mean, this is not artificial selection proves Look at how, how natural happy selection she is. Mm. Look at how happy she is. She needs so much love. I am most fit to receive love. <laughs> and Actually, that's how they were. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how they were selected. <laughs> They're so needy. They were artificially bred dogs as a whole to be needy. Yes. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> is the next news the Alaska one? Yes. Right. This is pretty funny. Oh, so I can clap it. Yes. Right. Next news. Next news. Pole to pulpit. Alaska strip club becomes a Baptist church. Fantasies on Fifth, a strip club in Anchorage, Alaska, was plagued by wage issues and the Supreme Court of Alaska denying its liquor permit renewal and was forced to close. In October 2020, the Open Door Baptist Church opened in the same building as the strip club. Linda Dunnigan, a real estate investor and daughter of a former exotic dancer, wanted to give new life to the building that used to house Fantasies on Fifth. She took the opportunity to buy the building and then rented the first floor to Open Door Baptist Church. The church is now located between an adult sex shop and a marijuana dispensary. <laughs> Pastor Kenny Mendez has a very positive outlook on his small but growing congregation. He is hoping that the church will help, quote, put some light right here. Okay, I don't know why you think this was funny. This is very bad news. This, we, this is going the other way. We're supposed to turn churches into strip clubs. Not strip clubs into churches. Yeah, we had a whole conversation about this a few months ago about uh, <laughs> buying out a mosque and then turning We're it going into backwards. a bar. <laughs> We're going backwards. Why is this happening? Are there not demand? Is there not enough demand out there for strip clubs? Uh, I in Anchorage, Alaska, there probably is. Just this specific one had financial difficulties and was forced to close. And then after it mm. closed this woman took advantage of the real estate and this is what she decided to do with it. I mean, I, I must give it to them. They're doing the Jesus-y thing of being uh, what Amongst right the sinners. In the middle, yeah, what they perceive to be sinning. They're like, we're right in the middle of it. This is, you can't get more Jesus-y than this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they must mm -hmm. be very proud. Like, they, I don't think they see any issue with this. They're like, yeah, this is where so this is where we need we are needed the most. <laughs> That's what they think. 
Yeah, when I was uh, talking to my dad about what we're going to cover on the news today, he's like, well, it sounds like the, the church is exactly where it needs to be. I'm like, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it, it was, I just, I just, I mean, this isn't a very serious story. It was just kind of funny to me. Like, I don't know. It's not often you hear about a strip club becoming a place of worship, um, let alone in between uh, a, a pot shop and uh, an adult bookstore. Um, okay, I'm don't guys, everybody in the live chat, don't be sad. I, I'm pretty sure the results are like this is just one example. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure in the United States at least things are in our favor, right? I'm I, like, I, well, I'm almost sure that if you take the number of churches that are turning into strip clubs or Wait, no, other, the thing, other way around, no. Oh. Churches that are turning to strip clubs are higher than <laughs> strip clubs that are turning into churches. Okay. I would make that bet. Okay. So, this is one example of a strip club turning into a church. But if you take account of churches turning into strip clubs, I think we're going to come off with it. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm. But, but this is like, we, this is a good notice for us to be on the, you know, we, we have to be mindful. Like we should, we shouldn't be too complacent because we're getting so much good news about churches closing down. So we're like, okay, like we can sit back and we like, they're losing, we're winning. But I think this is a good warning that we're not winning every battle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we can't, we have to, <laughs> we have to keep our guards up. We have to like fight harder. Okay. Keep Don't our eye on like, winning the war, not you know, yeah, yeah, every individual battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we needed this warning just so that we know that it's not this not an easy fight, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. This the woman who is this investor who then rented out this part of the property to the church has an interesting story herself. And I thought it was an interesting kind of plot twist that her mom after she was divorced and had to support her family ended up was, you know, a waitress who was also a dancer around uh, Anchorage. And um, it's unknown if her mom ever danced at this specific place, fantasies on fifth that could not be confirmed. Um, but her part of her story that I thought was interesting was basically she got into the church because Basically, people were providing her with resources that she wasn't getting elsewhere um, as a young child who needed support. And I don't know, on a different note, I thought that was like very interesting to think about how as people who are godless, people who are, you know, secular and atheists, like um, that is a major opening for people to welcome religiosity into their life you know the community and the support that they get from community that they might not be getting from state services or a secular community and i think um that's something that the atheist community at large could do a better job organizing around yeah or also the government right i think mm -hmm. it's um when religions take advantage of you know what the government is supposed to be doing and not doing, and they just come and fill in the gap as a way to promote Jeebus, right? So and the, the solution is not to discourage churches from doing that because some people are benefiting from that. The, the solution is to 
mm-hmm. you know, the government not having to rely on, you know, churches to provide the services that the government is supposed to be there for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a sign of a government not doing its job, right? Yeah. I thought, oh, Chad has a hilarious comment. Chad Davis is saying, take churches away and you will find peace. Take strip clubs away and you will find war. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that simple, but that's funny. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Interesting. Um, I kind of want to go check out this church in Anchorage now. I want to see what it's like because, oh, no, I think it's kind of the, the setup of being in between these very adult you know, businesses would be a little bit of a, like, I'm just thinking about my own family. Like that would be a conflict in my family's interest of attending a church like that. If I was a child, cause you have to bring your child through that environment to get to the church. And that would I don't, not be something my family would have been a fan of at that time. I don't think a church like that is meant to have people who don't, who are not already there. People like to go through this, you know, valley of temptation to get into the church like i don't think it's meant for that kind of people people who are not exposed to that all of a sudden be like wait we have to go where <laughs> right i think it's meant to be for people who are already there to be trying to save them and like hey come here for a mm, sandwich mm-hmm. and also hear about jesus or like you know i, I think like the, there might be a whole bunch of like homeless people or people who don't have a community or don't have like anybody to talk to that might actually very much in in that world to be like you know, like yeah this is what we needed right like we need like we're like we feel like we're working and we're like everything is about like you know we don't there's nobody that asks us how are you today you know maybe that church right there all of a sudden feels like okay this is someone cares a whole yeah that exactly that, that's like literally the story of this real estate investor. Her family started right. attending a church in the area ostensibly because for the free food. Right. So here's the thing: a lot of atheists tr- sometimes deny the fact that some of these, you know, churches or mosques or whatever religious that that they're actually filling in a a gap that actually does was needed. You know, somebody needed to come there, like the 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 the. the the solution shouldn't be like, oh, this church shouldn't be there. This is a because they are actually providing something that there's a demand for. Okay. Yeah. The solution is not to just cut that off. The solution is to compete with that and provide, provide something, something better, better without the not without the religious mumbo jumbo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I But it's hard to compete I, with them. Yeah. It's hard to compete. It's hard to compete with somebody with organizations that have uh, a two thousand year <laughs> advantage. Well, I mean, also ta- uh, tax advantage. I, I I understand that charities all have like tax advantages, but with with when it comes to religious uh, organizations, it's much easier for them to comply because the requirements for them to get that tax advantage is is lower than the other five hundred one c's in the United States, right? So it's hard to compete with that because they have a major advantage, uh, both because of the again two thousand year brand recognition that they have. Uh, but also because of the government uh, <laughs> uh, government advantages that are given to them. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But you were going to say something? Oh, no, that like, was it. That was the end of my thoughts. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, by the way, guys, when it comes to tax privileges, they have to understand, like, people shouldn't think, like, oh, um, 
churches, why are they getting tax advantages? They should be taxed. Well, I mean, any five hundred any five hundred one senior United States doesn't pay tax. It's not just religious institution. The unfair the unfairness is not that they don't pay taxes. The unfairness is that they have they don't have to abide by the rules that other five hundred one Cs have to abide by to get those tax advantages. That's what that's the that's what the that's where the unfairness comes in. Yeah. Well, Anyways. and it's also just a mess because it turns the IRS into a theological body in a way. Yes, like which is has your become deity a nightmare an actual the... god or not a god? Like the yeah, IRS yeah. Has, to, has to decide the nature of your deity. <laughs> no, no, literally, just look, just do, just do a little Google deep dive. Not even deep dive into how the church, the Church of Scientology, got their IRS, you know, exemption status. It's, uh, it's a nightmare. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, um, can we clap for the next news? Yes, because it's something that we support. Okay. Wait, I have to be careful not to hit my mic when I'm coughing. Next news. Next news. Discovery of native graves renews probe of U.S. Christian boarding schools. Recent discoveries of hundreds of unmarked graves of native, chil native children in Canada uh, in Canadian church-operated schools alarmed the United States. A new wave of investigations into similar boarding schools in America has begun. In the U.S., Alaskan Native and Indigenous children were routinely separated from their families, including their tribal customs and languages. Students were frequently deprived of adequate food and medical care to the point that many perished. The students' parents were often not informed of their deaths until they were, had already been buried in the school cemeteries and unmarked graves. Deb Holland, Secretary of the Interior, was compelled to write about her family's experience in the United States after hearing about the remains of 215 Indigenous children found in Canada. Holland is also the first Native American to serve the United States as a Cabinet Secretary. Samuel Torres, director of the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, a private group formed to focus uh, attention on the traumas caused by the institution of residential schools, stated that the church apologies are a good start. However, quote, there is a lot more to be done. Yeah, they need to pay a lot. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, that's not even enough. They need to be, paid, you know, the entire. If it was up to me, they would be raided by Italian army, and then the, all their assets would be seized and sold. Oh, you're talking about the Catholic Church? Well, any church, actually. Because well, a lot of these residential schools were run by oh. Catholic institutions as well as Protestant institutions. It wasn't exclusively really? Catholic. But in Canada, okay. I know that um, a, the majority of them were, I, I think. Well, it's do they have money? As long as they have money, they need to be like sued. Like mm -hmm. I, the problem, I, I don't know if this is true, but I think the problem with a lot of these churches is that, you know, they're, they're disconnected entities from each other. So if one of them does something wrong, wrong you can't just like sue the entire, <laughs> the entire mm -hmm. thing, the entire like. Um, like you're like, it was this entity, not that entity. Like, is there a way to legally just like hold them, hold the entire institution responsible? No, right? Legally, there's I we would need to talk to an attorney about that. That is way yeah, above my expertise. 
But yeah, that is a huge problem mm -hmm. because a lot of these institutions are still active in one form of an or another. Like um, there are some institutions that used to be residential schools, which are now no longer, you know, for the purpose of assimilating um, native children into the white man's way or to Americanize them or to make them Canadian, you know, um, in quotations. Um, but they still exist as, um, you know, state run um, schools in some capacity, like th those still exist. Um, a lot of the churches that were responsible for running these programs when they were explicitly to um, uh, make a man out of the savage, you know, was the mentality. Um, they are still in existence and they still have people running them. And, you know, the, the a lot of these churches who were involved in this have started to make apologies, but it's simply not enough. Um, I wanted to play a quick video from um, uh, the Secretary of the Interior. I'm sorry, what's her full name? Deb Holland, um, because I thought it was really uh, powerful. So I just want to play a short clip. Okay, let's add this here. Let me know if I don't have audio. But now for the first time, this country has a cabinet secretary who is indigenous. I come from ancestors who endured the horrors of Indian boarding school assimilation policies carried out by the same department that I now lead. For more than a century, the Interior Department was responsible for operating the Indian boarding schools across the United States and its territories. We are therefore uniquely positioned to assist in the effort to recover the dark history of these institutions that have haunted our families for too long. It's our responsibility. You're muted. You're muted. Sorry. I thought that that was just like a really um, kind of powerful thing to highlight that the very branch of the government that was in charge of stripping, in charge of cultural genocide um, is now headed by an indigenous woman. And she is fully, you know, opening the doors of their historical records and archives to archaeologists and historians and various um, commissions that are either governmental or, um, you know, outside of the government to um, really dig in to this dark history that is part of the Native American continent. Um, it's kind of a really full circle moment to have someone who's, you know, direct family experience this now in charge of the institution that brutalized them and her um, desire and willingness and eagerness to cooperate with more people being educated on the subject as well as, you know, beginning the process of holding our country and the various other religious and state groups that were involved in these really brutal policies, like bringing them to account, I think is, um, I found it to be very, very powerful. How did they, how did they, how did they all die? This is like so many, I don't even understand. How did they manage to like, did they just not feed them? Um, I mean, it's it, a lot of it comes down to like neglect, um, medical negligence. Um, there's also an argument to be made that the, um, stripping of that familial connection. I mean, we, there's so much science behind what it does to children physically. Um, it, it changes your brain chemistry. It, it changes um, like 
so many somatic responses. Um, so the mere fact that they were separated from their caregivers, you know, itself, I I would reckon, you know, contributed to greater health risks. Yeah, but it's not enough, obviously, to. Yeah, and I mean, death. a lot of times, you know, these children would go missing, or and um, parents years later, because you know, oftentimes they weren't even around they didn't know where they were for possibly many years um they would go inquire about what their children were where where they were and you know these institutions would just say they ran away and oh they 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 died of exposure they died in the cold or something kind of trying to cover up what they went through um the fact that there are school cemeteries is so shocking and concerning you know yeah, but there is like okay, so the number here that I'm saying is three thousand two hundred children. Okay, so this is like between what how? time period? Okay, so approximately one hundred and fifty thousand native children attended these schools for more than a century. Sadly, the National Truth, uh, whatever commission in Canada determined 3,201 Native children died due to unsatisfactory conditions, malnutrition, and abuse. Mm -hmm. But, like, how bad can... Like, it must have been horrible to get 3,200. Really like, I mean, for the, the unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory conditions is like doesn't even begin to describe how bad things could have been for you to get 3200 children dying like mal so yeah it's here the explanation and is it's what i likely mentioned malnourishment mal malnourishment so it means that they, they just didn't feed them so like that's you know, that's how bad they were at taking care of children like you couldn't do the simple thing of like feeding them and we're not feeding like, them enough of I'm, a holistic diet. Yeah. Like what kind of abuse they must have gone through for them to die. You know what I mean? Like I have seen children in the poorest parts of the planet and with like under abusive conditions and they have a very, very bad time, but they don't die. So for these kids to die at this high numbers, that means that it was I can't, I can't even picture how horrible it must have been for them for this many of them to die. Mm -hmm. For for like decades, some people, some people it, was, it was allowed to continue. It was allowed to continue like this. That's how the number gets so large, and it's likely an underestimate. Yeah, because like some people, you know, it's it's cultural yeah, genocide. They didn't care. Well, it's also literal genocide. They don't. No, but I don't think it's on. Like I don't think like people are coming up with conspiracy theories. They're saying like it was on purpose, right? Like they were actually trying. To, I don't know if that's I, unless there's evidence for that. You it's maybe in individual institutions. I don't think it was a, a you know explicit conspiracy, but the the result. Yeah, but I think if I think like people who are suggesting that are being irresponsible unless they have evidence for it because it takes away from the case that we actually have, right? Like you don't need to suggest things that we don't have evidence for. This is already very bad, and you're making it by coming up with conspiracies. You are actually delegitimizing the strong case that we already have here right yeah you don't um, need to exaggerate it when it's already so severe yeah um so please don't do that but yeah this is like yeah but when it says an abuse like 
there must have been some really crazy abuse for for the kids to actually for it to result in kids dying at such high numbers. Well, I mean, they they were these schools and institutions were set up with the explicit institute explicit intention of literally like whitewashing, you know, native and indigenous children, you know, and so they would be severely punished for displaying any outward signs of their original culture speaking their own language it's it's it it you strip someone of their cultural identity to the point that they decide to you know you do it in a way that this is part of thought reform where the process becomes initiated from the person themselves and the only way that you're able to begin a level of thought reform that is that deep is by controlling the minutia of someone's environment and having severe severe penalties psychological and physical for you know not undertaking the thought reform internally on the inside um yeah by the way for the the um what i wanted to say is the reason why we you know clapped for this news is because i'm very happy that um you know we're having this moment of reckoning um i think it's very important um, that, you know, we, we really bring everything about this to light. Um, it's extremely painful and it's shocking. Um, but the positive about this is that we are undergoing this, this process of self-reflection and accountability and, you know, just apologies and words. It's, it's not enough. I don't know, you know, how, far this can go or to what extent people will be held or institutions will be held accountable and in which way legally this will go. But, um, the, the kind of moral reckoning of the country's consciousness is, um, something I will, uh, applaud. Yeah. I also want to use this as an opportunity to mention to people for the people in Canada, the, you know, the conservatives in Canada who might, some of them might be worried about uh, creeping Sharia, but are not consistently also mm. worried about, you know, Christianity, you know. Creeping Christianity. Creeping, well, I mean, oh, it's already there. Yeah. I just want to remind them that Christianity has taken the lives of more Canadians than Sharia has ever, right? You have 3,201 Canadian children that were taken out because of Christianity, okay? So if you are, like, worried about Sharia in Canada and not worried about Christianity in Canada, then you're being completely inconsistent because that has been a much greater harm to your country and to your people than Islam has ever um anyways very true i think a portion of this initiative i'm not completely positive is um going to be a lot of funds dedicated to language revitalization which is awesome because um people underestimate how much um language is uh inherently a a carrier of cultural identity um so i i think that's a cool initiative can we clap for the next news? No. Oh, okay. Next news. Next news. 
17-year-old Indian girl killed for wearing jeans during Hindu ritual. On July 19th, Neha Pashwan, a 17-year-old girl, was beaten by her extended relatives, including her grandfather and uncles, rendering her unconscious. Her assailants told her mother that she was being taken to the hospital. The next day, her body was found hanging from a bridge. Uh, Shakuntala Devi, Neha's mother, explained that her daughter had been admonished many times by her grandfather and other male relatives about her wearing of Western clothes. Her mother stated she had kept a day-long religious fast. In the evening, she put on a pair of jeans and a top and performed her rituals. Reports have not been specific regarding the cause of Neha's death. According to Shriyash Tripathi, a senior police officer, several arrests have been made. A total of 10 people were arrested, including members of her extended family, such as her grandfather and two uncles. It is unclear whether Neha died due to the beating or if she was killed by hanging. I don't even know what to say to this. Mm-hmm. This is insane. I mean, I don't, I'm lost for words. Um, I don't know. What do, do you have anything to say to this? I don't have anything to say right now. I mean, I've been um, going through a, a, a period of some weeks where I'm feeling a little blackpilled by religion. I just think religious conservatism is... I don't even have like words in English to explain how just the rage I feel towards religious tradition um, and any desire to maintain tradition. Um, This is like ostensibly an honor killing um, for not maintaining, you know, specific culture, whether it is how you dress, how you, Um, practice your religion Um, and it's disgusting Um, there is no justification for this obviously although you'd be shocked to see how many women actually try to rationalize this kind of um, behavior Um, I think any conception of um, honor is a detriment to human prosperity. I hate this idea of collective honor. Um, it is deadly. It is harmful. Um, I don't understand how I, 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 it's incomprehensible to me, like how people think this way. Um, it's, so heartbreaking that you would kill a child over wearing denim jeans. Um, Apparently this had been a fight that had occurred in her family many times where they don't like the fact that she would wear Western clothes and she would reply or reportedly reply. Jeans are meant to be worn. Sounds like she was a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And to think that this is the response, um, it it just makes my brain short circuit. Um, 
I can't believe that there are people who think that there is value in religious conservatism. I can't believe that people think that there is value in societal structures based on honor and saving face. Um, it is, um, it's, I, it's, I, I, I can, I can't think of like anything positive that comes from it. Um, it makes me so upset to think about, you know, this young girl who I think it was reported that she wanted to become a police officer, like who has, you know, at least relative to her environment, you know, progressive values of like, I want to wear what I want. Jeans are meant to be worn. You know, like how harmless is that statement? Um, that she's not, it, it, like just the desire to snuff out literally like any form of um, progress within your family, within your community, within your culture, it, in this form, it's so horrible. It, I mean, there's some other details of this that I can get into, but I want to get, what did you have to say? Were they, were they arrested and all? Like if I made a mistake part. Yeah, there been a total of 10 people arrested reportedly, including mm. um, those who allegedly were involved with beating her. Um, they beat her with, um, I think they're called lathies. They're these like big, heavy wooden poles that the Indian police use for crowd control. Um, and there was a situation where apparently she she was rendered unconscious from the beating by her own family. And then it was um, the details are a little bit murky, but I think those some of the people responsible for her beating were the ones who took her to the hospital. However, quote unquote, they took her to the hospital. Um, they refused to let her mother go with them to the hospital. They wouldn't let her go. And she's like, why aren't you gonna why aren't you gonna let me go? This is my child. Like, and then and then the next day is when they found her hanging off of a bridge. And it's almost certainly her family that did this to her. And then the next day, that's how they found her. So they still don't, it's there's no reports yet on um whether it was the beating or the hanging that killed her. Um so there might be some mm, Hindus who who wanted to come and say, first of all, um, Susanna is very careful to keep saying allegedly or reportedly so, so she's very careful with her language, so thank you for that, Susanna. Um, so if anybody wants to complain about that, they're, they're not even listening. Um, but also, what, it, if everything is accurate, um, but some Hindus might then try some, not all, um, try to say that this has, you know, this is not part of, um, this is, has nothing to do with Hinduism, that this whole honor culture thing has been, you know, introduced to India because of the Islamic and British empire, right? Um, that's the common excuse that people bring that like, you know, this whole honor killing, uh, 
which is first of all it's nonsense if you do read hindu scripture you can see that there's a lot of uh, control and over women misogyny honor culture within hindu scripture itself so there's that okay i mean rama almost rama got his own wife burned just for honor and all right so that's this your your that this is actually behavior of the hindu gods it's all themselves. it's all throughout the mythology it's it's yeah, all yeah. throughout the legends it's you can't you can't deny it yeah but also it, it even the idea like even if it was true that it was it was only introduced to india because of islam and the british empire i mean i'm pretty sure it had some major influence right the thing is that well that's that is the culture right now in India, right? Of course, it can't, it, you know, even if it was part of, um, like, even if you say, like, okay, even when I say, like, some of it is from Hinduism itself, well, Hinduism, the people who brought those ideas were outsiders as well. They were the Indo-Europeans that were separate from the people responsible from the Indus Valley civilization. So I, I, whatever culture your, 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 your nation has, it was it was obviously influenced by outsource outside you know sources of influence. Obviously, every country is like that, right? Well, but the thing is that some of it is internal, some of it is from outside. But it's crap right now. Okay, this is like you could keep arguing over how much of it is from Hinduism, how much like oh how much of it is because of the British influence, how much of it is because of the Islamic Empire's influence, and how much of it is like cultural stuff that is not religion. Well, it's all of those. It's a there is you know what you have in India right now, it's a it's a mix of all of those things have an influence, right? And but the thing is that it's crap right now. It's you know and I'm we're not saying it based on this one anecdotal evidence, right? When it comes to how women are treated in India is, is horrible. You know, it's one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to how women are treated and how they're supposed to behave and the misogyny and the ownership over women and mm -hmm. you know, the honor culture and all, all of those, all of those. And you have to deal with it. You have to, you can't, you know, the first part of solving this is to not dance around making excuses and just admit that you have your country has a problem. Okay. If you love if you love your country, the best way you can serve it is to not make excuses for the problems that it has. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not serving your country by trying to do a PR and like like you know if you if you are more worried about how your country is being perceived internationally than actually fixing the problems of your country, then mm -hmm. you are a problem to your country. You know you are part of the problem because you care so much uh, so much about the imagery rather than actually making instead of the quality of life of your own citizens and the safety yeah. of children in your country. Yeah. Very, very well put. Yeah. I just wanted um, to highlight that story because um, I think, I don't know, I feel like people have, um, it's kind of a PC thing, like less of a impetus in the West to um, criticize 
other cultures or countries, especially those that were um, previously colonized. Um, and um, it's important that we talk about the women who are victims to this across the world, because if we don't talk about it, then they died in vain. You know, if we don't talk about this with the, with an intention to call it out as despicable, condemn those who did these acts and make it clear to communities that this is unacceptable and reprehensible behavior, then she died for nothing. Well, that's kind of a bad way to put it. It's not like she she made an intent she made the decision to die for something, but it's the only way that we can improve the situation. Yeah. Yeah. India, get your get your get your crap together. Yeah. It's really like distressing. It's, yeah, it's it's not a good place for women in India. Is you know but yeah. Anyways, oh, by the way, for anybody that keeps telling you that, oh, actually, if you look at like the RAPE stats in India compared to other Western <laughs> countries, if anybody tells you about that and they say like it's actually lower in India, they're they're full of crap. They don't understand that the way that these what is counted in Western countries as uh, RAPE is different from India. Uh, <laughs> Because we have better standards that are more holistic that protect women or just victims, period, more. Yeah. Yeah. So they are full of crap and they have no idea what they're talking about. And they don't also tell you that most of the crimes in India go unreported. So anybody who tells you that as a way to defend their India, they're not defending India. They're actually making India a worse country. They are, they are, they are a curse to their own country. The people in India who are good for India are the people who acknowledge these problems and actually try to fix it. Um. Okay, so should we clap? Oh, no. No. We can't clap for the next news. Okay. No. All right, next news. Next news. Christian woman wearing Charlie Ebdo shirt stabbed in UK. Hatun Tash, a Turkish ex-Muslim turned Christian preacher who is a regular debated, debater at Hyde Park's famed Speaker's Corner in the United Kingdom, was recently stabbed by an, so far, unidentified assailant. A video that captured the incident has been circulating online. One video shows a man recording a usual Sunday morning at Speaker's Corner. A hooded man from inside the crowd dashed to Houghton, who was wearing a blue shirt with a Charlie Hebdo print, and attacked her. Alex, uh, Bing Alex Bingley, a detective superintendent of Set Central West Command Unit, calls the stabbing a, quote, very distressing incident. Detective Bingley acknowledged that the incident had multiple witnesses and possibly multiple videos of the assault. This is not the first time that Hatantosh was assaulted at Speaker's Corner. In late October 2020, she was punched in the face by a man while she was debating a Muslim speaker. So I know that this is um, a news that you guys, um, a lot of people in our community have been wanting us to talk about. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about what happened, uh, happened to uh, Hutton. Um, you know, obviously we're an atheist-centered community, um, but it is also important to talk about what does happen to ex-Muslims who, you know, become Christian. They're still theists. Um, and 
raise awareness about, you know, the violence against them, um, specifically against women. Is she going to be okay? Yeah. Um, as I've uh, heard, the reports are that she's not in any sort of critical condition. Um, you know, it's obviously um, very traumatic. It's very scary, um, especially considering that um, she's been assaulted at Speaker's Corner, you know, before. And um, it's, it's, I, uh, it really concerns me because I think the UK is really giving the impression to a lot of people that they don't take this as seriously as they should. Um, I don't think that I, I didn't get the impression that they took the assault against her last October very seriously. She wasn't, um, extremely harmed during that incident. I've, you know, you can find that incident on camera. It's very shocking. It broke her glasses. Um, but the um, impetus to physically assault and terrorize critics of Islam in the public space in an area that is specifically for the free debate and exchange of ideas um, it is very, it's extremely concerning that this is a continuing problem in the United Kingdom, in, in the heart of England. Yeah, so this happened at uh, Speaker's Corner, uh, and I've been to Speaker's Corner a couple of times, and I actually debated her. Um, you know, you know, I, I, I debated her, and we very much disagreed. But what I liked about her was that, you know, when she she's there to like criticize Islam, right? She she's always there to criticize to to show how the Quran was manipulated through history. She has evidence and she has her charts. She has her whole her whole process and she's very very strong and she doesn't back down. And she you could you, every time I went there and I saw her, you could see her like <laughs> dealing with like this tiny little woman. She's fierce. Really? She will go yeah. toe to toe with any man who is trying to scream her down and intimidate her. She just, she's like a little lioness. Like, yes. Like this, this tiny little woman. I usually see her with like five or six very big Muslim men, very angry and very aggressive. And she's like holding her ground and she's holding her <laughs> demonstration. And she's like, she doesn't seem like phased at all by the fact that she's like <laughs> responding to these really intimidating looking people that, um, and she's like, I have my proof, I have my stuff. And she's like there to show. And to be, I mean, and she, her, her cases are often very correct when, it, when she's talking about the proof for, for how. Uh, the Quran has been manipulated. So I, I actually, I never published this, but I had my conversation with her and, and I recorded it. And we talked about her proof for how the Quran was manipulated. And then I switched to talking about Christianity and Jesus. And she started defending Christianity and Jesus. And we had like a very strong disagreement. And she was very tough about defending Jesus and, you know, Christianity and all that. But, which was interesting. But what she didn't do is like what I usually see is that I'm not, I'm here like some other Christians when they're there to like fight against Islam. When you talk about Christianity, they're like, they don't want to have that conversation. They're like, I'm here to talk about Islam right now. 
that's not the conversation I'm willing to have, right? But she wasn't like that. She was like, when I took the, the conversation to Christianity, she was like, she was very ready <laughs> to like fight me. <laughs> she was like, bring it. <laughs> but anyways, like, obviously I didn't agree with her points, but she was, she didn't like back down on, um, she was ready to have any debate that we wanted to have. Right. Um, and you know, she's, she's willing to talk to anybody or we, you know, so that was admirable. And she was very, so here's what I liked also. She was, she was very strongly against our position and you could see how aggressively she was defending her position, but no, nothing that could be described as rude. You know, you could describe it as very strong and aggressive, but not rude, nowhere, never rude in any way. Right. Um, easy to talk to in, if, unless you're intimidated in by strong women, <laughs> right? But yeah, so a lot of people are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's, I don't know, she's, she's very interesting. Um, also, more brave than I ever would be because I have had debates on Speaker's Corner and a couple of times things escalated with some Muslims there. And after a couple of times, I was thinking like, you know, some people also recognized me and it made me uncomfortable that people recognized me because to me, I felt like, you know, I'm comfortable being here and talking to Muslims as long as they don't know I have a history of burning the Quran or desecrating the Quran. Like if I'm recognized too often here, I don't want to be at the speaker's corner. Right. I was like, you know, after like after I think I went there like, I don't know, five or six times. I can't remember how many times I went there and debated at the, some point I was like, I think that's enough. I think like I'm like really risking things if I keep coming here, right? And this woman has been more consistently focusing on being against Islam than I have because I have I have gone against all religions, right? I've gone against Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism. It, it was my anti-Buddhism tweet that got reported, like got me suspended on Twitter, which is amazing. And uh, a strike on YouTube. Yes. Well, yeah, it's amazing. Like that, both the strike on YouTube and getting suspended from Twitter was not because of Islam; it was because of Buddhism. For, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I, I've gone against all religions. So, but the amount of anti-Islam content that I have there was enough for me to be like, okay, that was good enough experience for me at the speaker's corner for my own safety i shouldn't go there ever again okay but this woman who has been so consistently against islam she keeps going back there and her experience is always like i don't know how she doesn't have nightmares right because every time she goes there her experience is a whole bunch of very strong men telling her how in the most aggressive way about how horrible of a person she is. And then she gets punched in the face, right? And then she goes back there. Like, I don't understand. This is like, this, I would not, I mean, I'm not that brave. This is, woman is way braver than I would ever be. So, I don't know. I hope, uh, it's really sad that the person didn't, wasn't identified. Um, do you, do we know if the intention was for that person to what, like eliminate her? Was that the intention? Um, 
I I don't think we can make any explicit statements on motivations of the depth of harm that was, you know, trying to be inflicted on her. She was ostensibly like slashed, you know, victim of a knife attack. Um, I think it's absolutely shameful that this these men in a country such as England are doing this towards a woman who just has a strong opinion that they disagree with. It's pathetic. Um, I, uh, the reactions of other um, Muslim speakers or figures who also frequent um, Speaker's Corner have been also shameful. Um, Ali Dawa um, basically is attempting to spread, um, he's explicitly spreading misinformation about the identity uh, or um, religious background of the assailant who is currently unidentified. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like it's, you know, uh, we can, it's more likely than not that um, it was someone with an Islamic background who, you know, did this attack because I can't really c conceive of motivations of other people who would do something like this. I don't know that for a fact, but um, I think it's... We're talking We're using Alcon's yes. razor and doing probability. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, the same thing happened when she was assaulted in October where there were lots of claims going around that the man who assaulted her was a Christian. They were trying to spread information about that, um, trying to muddy the waters against that, basically just not hold their own community accountable in any shape or form um, towards the action because it is indefensible um, in freaking like modern civilization and in, in in our in our societies it's completely unacceptable i mean people might have their own emotional reactions to that but you know even within themselves they know that it looks horrible and they can't justify it and they can't defend it so they just spread you know speculations and lies about what could really be going on here um it's it's so disgusting um i think um, I really ap appreciate um, uh, a prostate prophet for using his platform to um, explicitly fight back against the false claims or just the muddying of the waters that people like Ali Dawa are doing. Um, so if you guys want more information about that, I would check out Apostate's Prophet. Apostate Prophet's channel where he put out um, two videos about this most recent incident, one of them explicitly countering um, Ali Dawa's um, ridiculous uh, claims or just his his behavior. I just don't even have words. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted, I wanted to... Mm -hmm. no, Sorry? Finish your, no, finish um, I think it's really important to highlight her because I think being... A woman who is an ex-Muslim, um, they're seen women in general are seen as softer targets. Um, being someone who's Turkish, I think um, all the Turkish ex-Muslims in my life that I know um, are some of the people who are more fiercely committed to free expression than you know many other people I know because of their own personal experiences and um, what they're denied. You know, back in their home nation. And, um, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know how she's doing. I don't know how she's reacting to this emotionally or psychologically. Um, 
but I think I oh no, I'm I'm just sending her a lot of love. It's scary. It's so scary to be just individual in general, but specifically a woman because you're at such a physical disadvantage to have this amount amount of animus towards you. Um, and clearly she does have threats to her life explicitly. And um it it didn't stop her before. Um, I'm not going to act like, oh, this shouldn't stop her now, um, because that's a ridiculous way to think about someone whose physical um, safety is in danger, you know, um, but she's extremely fierce, extremely fierce. And I hope that the authorities are starting to really take this these attacks more seriously um because the uk has such a they have a bad history of basically victim blaming um critics of islam for the violence that is inflicted upon them it's well documented um just passivity towards this when as you know a so-called you know enlightened society um it should be on the forefront of their concerns to protect um, the rights of their citizens from incidents like this. And not even just reactively protect, proactively prevent things like this from happening. By the way, the, uh, the thing you mentioned about, uh, you know, women being attacked like this and being helpless, I, I actually sometimes think about how scary it must, uh, it, I would feel if I was a woman because the idea that half the population like i don't know if i would leave my house because like i was just thinking about the idea of like half the population just being able to force their will on me just by fit just using mere physical strength and you not being able to counter that just like that's like that's just scary to me like sometimes mm -hmm. like i'm it's just like i i wouldn't be able to i don't know yeah, so that's that's one thing, but uh, and I it, it is it, when you. I mean, honestly, as a woman, you can't really think about it too much because when you start to think about how the fact that your safety is really just you know a, a function of just the goodwill of the men around you, it becomes quite terrifying. Like you're you're depending on them to act right. Yeah, I'm already terrified <laughs> just thinking about it. Like, <laughs> Susie, don't leave your uh, house. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Here's the thing. Um, some oh, something I just wanted to address because I saw some people maybe in the live chat was, were like leaning towards this and I just want to make sure that this is not used for that purpose. Um, when people are referring to actions like this and then they talk like, oh, Muslims this, Muslims that, you're not really helping, okay? Because now you're, you're using the actions, like we here are very extremely anti-Islam, okay? But we criticize Islam, but when certain Muslims do certain things, we talk, refer to those specific Muslims, right? We then, we don't go around and then use the word Muslim generally as if this action represents the entire Muslim community, okay? So when you see something like this happening and then you go and say like, well, Muslims do this, Muslims do that. No, this was these specific people this was that specific person right here don't generalize this to all muslims you are not helping at all when you all of a sudden use the words muslims to represent an entire group of people um you know you're being a collectivist you are doing guilt by association 
uh, and you're not treating people like individuals and holding them responsible for their own actions rather than being in a group that uh, other members of them committed something. Um, um, what yeah. do you think about people? Like I've noticed in, um, it seems like this is a more frequent thing, um, but I've noticed that apostate prophet, and I think it's more pre frequent, has a tendency lately to, um, and I maybe I'm mischaracterizing things, but um, basically state or promote the idea that it is the responsibility and onus of just regular Muslims to actively call out and condemn stuff like this. I don't think so. I don't think that, you know, just because you happen to be in a group that other members, you know, you know, as you're not guilty of the crime. So why are you being held responsible for apologizing for it? Right. Just because what? you happen to be in the same demographic of the people who did the crime. I don't think it makes absolute sense. I don't think what? like if an atheist, for example, goes and commits a crime, um, even if it if even if it's because of their atheism and they like made it very clear that my atheist beliefs has made me give me the conclusion that this crime's okay and they go and do a crime i'm not going to be like you know as an atheist i condemn this and i apologize for it like, no that guy had nothing to do with me like so i if i don't expect that for atheists um, I shouldn't expect that for Muslims or Christians as well. I don't think like Muslims have a responsibility to come out. You know, I mean, if they want to condemn it, that's great. You know, that they're helping. If they do condemn it, they come out and condemn it. But if they don't, it wasn't their responsibility to condemn it. But go on. What about the idea that um, by just ordinary people who are in no way involved, you know, um, highlighting stuff like this as a criticism of their own community creates a culture collectively that this is unacceptable and that you will be you know, shunned and ostracized and can, in, uh, for behavior like this um, uh, will create a culture where it is less likely for stuff like this to happen. Say that again. Explain that again. Well, the idea that, you know, like um, uh, the group that you belong to creating a culture where even if they are, you know, the, the only association they have with an event like this is the fact that they happen to share, you know, a group identity but um, where they start creating a group culture where they criticize the group, call out um, stuff like this, condemn right. it. Um, and so that eventually over time within the larger group identity, there is, you know, a sense that right. this is unacceptable. Yeah. So that's a good thing. And that's why you could recommend it to people. But it's not, you can't be like, it, it can't be a demand. You could encourage something positive. You could be like, it would be helpful if you guys consider this, right? But if you turn into demand and somebody, some people might be like, well, I'm not doing this out of protest because you're making it seem like mm -hmm. it's a, it's a must because like, as if I'm guilty just by mere association. Right. In that case, you might like, well, I'm not going to, because if I do so, I'm encouraging the idea that I'm guilty by association. Mm -hmm. And therefore that's why I need to apologize for. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but if it was just a rec like you, we want to recommend to you guys, maybe this would be helpful, then yeah, sure, that would be great. Mm -hmm. By the way, there's an idiot in the live chat that I want to highlight. This is the idiot for today. Uh, Avi saying, <laughs> five minutes back, you were associating a crime with Hinduism. What a hypocrite. Avi, you are the idiot of today because there's you a difference just said between Hindu Hindus and Hinduism. Yes, you just said Hinduism. Yes, Hinduism, not Hindus. I didn't generalize an entire group of people. 
you are so dumb because I have made that so clear. Even right now, I just said we outright criticize Islam and we condemn Islam as a religion, but we don't hold all Muslims responsible for the crimes of certain Muslims. You are incapable of understanding very simple concepts. So go rethink your life and every the way you your mind operates because it doesn't, okay? It's dysfunctional. So just like, you know, I would be embarrassed if I were you. I'm so glad that I'm not you because that's embarrassing. No, I mean, uh, he, there, there are a lot of uh, people who actually want there to be no distinction between the two. They want the religious identity to be the same as the individual. Yeah, yeah, they want that because they want their religions are so ridiculous and moronic that the only way to defend them for a lot of people is to um, reduce, you know, blur the lines between religion and identity, so that an attack on religion would be an attack on your identity, and you just then then defending the religion will become a matter of honor. That's mm -hmm. you know, so that's how people, yeah, yeah that's attack. how people. That's a very clever strategy for people to defend indefensible ideas like religion um <laughs> all right. oh, Ghost Bunny yeah Ghost Bunny right. saying day zero of Armin not calling someone out for idiocracy <laughs> idiocy 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 well we stream right. on YouTube so I don't know what you guys are expecting <laughs> I'm gonna bring up the next news but yes, you, and this is you, another one that unfortunately we cannot clap for. We cannot clap. Okay. All right. So I might need to go get take a washroom break, but I can hear you when I go. Okay. So okay. so no clapping, right? No. All right. Next news. Next news. God promised healing. Mother jailed for medical negligence of child. In uh, a 46-year-old mother from Toowoomba, Queensland, Australia, was sentenced to 18 months in jail for child endangerment after claiming God would protect her child. Um, Chantal uh, Petre, I think that's a French name, uh, the Crown Prosecutor, said that the mother was known for quite some time that her daughter was very sick and that the daughter's health had deteriorated. Despite this knowledge, the mother did not seek medical attention for the child, who was six years old at the time. The mother calmly insisted that she has nothing to deny, insisting that since she is a daughter of God, she relied upon and expected that God would heal her child. The mother re reasoned that she never had to take her children or herself to the doctor because God had promised to heal them. She was charged with gross negligence in 2019 and was sentenced on July 15th, 2021. Um, I wanted to cover this story because honestly, I think it is shocking that this sort of thing still happens nowadays. Um, it's, insane how bad this mother allowed her child's health to deteriorate. Um, according to doctors, by the time that sh this child arrived at the hospital, she was hours away from death. She had suffered from incontinence, meaning she can't control her own bowel movement for like two weeks preceding when 
they were finally brought to the hospital. And this mother was apparently completely remorseless in the proceedings of this case and um, insistent upon her um, religious beliefs uh, regarding this incident. Um, I don't understand how people even think this way. This child was six years old and weighed only 13.4 kilograms. I think that's like 30 pounds, around 30 pounds. Um, just vom- it was, oh my God. And this person is a mother of eight. Like, I don't understand how, like, some people are even allowed to reproduce. This is, like, just a crime. Like, oh, I mean, it is literally a crime. But to the fact that um, there are people as negligent and just irrational and divorced from reality as this who are allowed to be in charge of the safety of children and what's so bad about it is that they are making this decision for their children right they're saying well it's my belief that god will just heal you and i'm making that decision no matter how much pain you're in no matter what you're what's happening to you physically no matter how scared you are you know i'm making the decision for you that my god is going to heal you and i'm not going to take the necessary steps to seek care for you. It's. Oh my God. It's so upsetting. Um, because. It, this. Um, I wasn't able to find the actual name. Of this person. Um, I don't know if this is an Australian thing. Where they don't really disclose the names. Of people being prosecuted. But. Um, uh, I wasn't able to find out. If she's still allowed to have custody. Of her other children. But if she is. I can't believe that the state of Australia. Would allow something like that to continue. It's really upsetting. Um, was she, um, is, is, a, is a daughter okay? Yes, she survived. She had to be resuscitated at the hospital, but she is around the age of eight now. And um, reportedly back to a, uh, mm. a normal, healthy weight. Okay. And she's going, no permanent damages? She's going to be completely okay? Not that I'm aware of. Not anything that was reported on. Okay. Um, and this woman will not have any access to any of her ch children ever again, correct? Um, I'm not positive because um, I wasn't able to find those reports. But I know AGA was familiar with this case. And she's saying that the father has full custody now. Although he also had to face some prosecution for um, his role in this situation. Um, okay. And sorry, you mentioned she's going to be in jail for how long? A year and a half. That's she it? She only has to, yes. Oh. I don't, un oh my God. Yeah, I don't know what the sort of precedence in Australia for this kind of thing is, but mm. only a year and a half for child endangerment of, or medical negligence to this degree is insane. And torture. Just it's torture. Kind of like, yeah. Yeah. I, 
I, I honestly didn't know this happens in Australia. I think, like, if I heard this story, I would t- totally think that this is an American-related news. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. Um, it's it's so weird where people get these ideas. It upsets me so much. Like, oh my god, I think um, it's important to think about. Like, I just have so much sympathy for that poor child. Like what that does to you on a psychological level to be denied care to that degree. It is going, it sends such a severe message that these people who are in charge of um, meeting your every need consistently denied every time you asked for not even comfort, you asking for just help, just safety every time that's going to stick with someone for the rest of their life that that what the lesson that that is teaching that child you know like yeah. i'm asking for help and not only am i not going to give it to you to the point that you almost died um it's because god said so it's because god is willing this right now um yeah, AJ was saying that this is like in the Bible built of Australia. Mm. I'm not very familiar with the religious landscape of Australia, um, but apparently... I mean, Queensland who is has- other than Australians? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it would be weird if you were familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, there's really not much more to say except that, like, I, I, like, I hope that the other children are safe and the fact that they're like why is it always these psycho religious people who have to have so many kids that they put in danger i mean one is bad enough but so many oh, it just terrifies me look people agree with me spencer was saying i meant i actually thought it was in america as well yeah i would have, like if you told me this news and didn't tell me the location i would have just my mind would have just assumed just put usa just as an assumption mm-hmm. i mean what's the population of australia i think statistically would we be correct to assume that yeah. um, i don't know and i don't know exactly what kind of denomination these people are like this gives me a i only know of like real like kind of protestant branches that do this kind of thing like um, Christian scientists have a little bit of this kind of bent. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are obviously notorious for medical negligence, although with them it's usually a little bit more specific in terms of blood transfusion and other specific medical per- medical procedures in which they allow their children to basically become martyrs. They, I mean, JWs like will literally talk about these children who refused um, blood transfusions of their own volition because they're so indoctrinated as martyrs um, for Jehovah. Um, so this, this gives me a little bit of an, an evangelical flavor, um, but I don't actually know for a fact, um, what informed, um, this outlook. Right. Anyways, I'm glad that the Australians are at least, uh, in, on top of it enough for the kid to get saved and mm-hmm. recovered. You know, unlike some other countries that we talked about today, 
So we could say that much at least. Um, I don't know. Well, this is anecdotal, so I don't want to conclude anything based on that. But I'm just glad that she's okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and I and I hope that I mean, if like she might have new kids, right? There's nothing stopping her from having new kids. Well, if she has new kids, they should all be taken away from her. Like I hope that she I know. never. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, should we? Do you, is there anything that we need to highlight, or should we just move on to the next news? Um, I think we should move on, and we can clap for this one. Um, Okay, one last thing. I don't think like people who suggest that maybe atheists should have more kids, I don't think that's the right solution, okay? This whole idea of this having an effect on the gene pool because religious people are having more kids. Um, oh, what? That's... No, I've never heard the gene people... pool argument before. I've heard population growth, but not gene pool. No, that's yeah, because they're thinking like, you know, there are more. there's going to be more dumb people because dumb people are going to have more kids. And I think that's like, not going to happen because you know we are the ways that science is going to manipulate the gene pool is going to uh, completely you know the effect of that is going to eventually be so much more than any thing that the any effect on the population right so we're going to get to places so anyways i'm not going to go down that road um, well i mean think so about it most of our community are former religious people like it's not like most of our community were raised in an atheist family like most people right. leave religion yeah but well, not most but, yeah, but if our of atheists are yeah yeah but again if more religious people do have more kids than atheists if you give it enough time that will have an effect but i'm just saying the effect is so minimal compared to other influences anyways mm -hmm. um you said i can clap right yes next news Next news, leader of abusive sex cult Nixium ordered to pay victims $3.5 million. On July 20th, the leader of the sex cult and multi-level marketing scheme Nixium, Keith Raniere, was ordered by the court to pay for the removal of his initials that were burned into the bodies of his female members. The total, the total cost of the restitution is around $3.5 for the 21 victims. The price includes um, the cost of surgery for removing the branded initials, mental health therapy, and unpaid labor rendered by cult members and employees. Ranieri is currently serving a sentence in an Arizona state prison. On June 30th, Actress Allison Mack was sentenced to three years for her involvement with the sex cult. Mack supported Ranieri in manipulating helpless women, allowing Ranieri to prey on their insecurities, turning them into obedient sex slaves. The cult was co-founded by Nancy Salzman, whose daughter, Lauren Salzman, was charged for racketeering in 2019. Nancy, along with Keith Ranieri, began operating Nixium in Albany, New York. Um, so I wanted to cover this story because um, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this organization, um, which, you know, looks like a bunch of Roman numerals, but it's pronounced Nexium or Nixium, um, which uh, I have a little bit of an obsession with uh, destructive cults and destructive groups. And I've been following the story of um, Nixium for some time. And um, honestly, I think 3.5 million spread across 21 people is very low considering the money that is um, available to him or 
his organization. Um, but it is something worth celebrating. Um, and I think more people need to become aware of um, these types of organizations and also become aware of red flags for destructive um, organizations such as um, Nixium. Um, it's, I mean, I, I've, I, the full story of this organization is absolutely insane. Like this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but it's, it's really, the stuff that went on inside this cult is on a different level. It's on a different level. Can you tell us a little bit? If you know. Um, so part of what happened is, so just to be clear, these initials were branded into kind of the, um, inguinal area or the like, uh, inner crotch area of these women. And, um, it wasn't for all female members of this cult. Um, it was for a secret society that was in the cult. Um, so the cult Nixium was ostensibly or from the outside an executive success training program but it was also a pyramid scheme where um people would get higher ranks which would be um, signified in the presence of different colored sashes and different colored badges um by recruiting more people into this program and the um uh these training programs were um give me a lot of Scientology vibes. You know, it's very um, pseudo-scientific, taking a lot of stuff that is um, already established in the psycholo psychological field, the stuff that just makes someone more um, confident, confident, makes someone more assertive. Um, you know, these things are very helpful in an executive environment. Um, and uh, these cult leaders will take these practices and just like manipulate them a little bit, um, use different phrases for them, just kind of repurpose the language and act as if they created this revolutionary new way of um, uh, self-actualizing. Self so he would always talk about, you know, like being more authentic and using all this um, in uh, for people who study cults, um, they call it loaded language. And so every destructive organization will use loaded language, which is a way to signify like who is knowledgeable of, of kind of this secret esoteric knowledge and who isn't. Um, and this um, kind of what started off as a pyramid scheme um, became this very weird cultic practice where before this started, Ranieri has been a con man and a predator towards children long before he founded this organization. He is a pathological liar who has falsified basically all of his credentials and the things that are supposed to make him authoritative when teaching other people about how to um, become more su successful. And... Um, uh, you know, they do kind of a lot of group practices, but it, it, it just becomes more and more abusive. You know, they do the standard thing of um, all the, the classes that you have to take to get to the next level that earns you more respect and authority within the group, you know, is increasingly expensive. Um, and it's a way to suck you of money and suck you of resources. And there was this secret group within this organization um, that had 
the initials um, DOS, which stood for um, a Latin phrase that I can't remember correctly right now, which basically means like um, a master over women or a male master over women or something. Um, and it they would just call it DOS for short. And so Allison Mack, who is this, you know, semi-famous actress, she was well known for her um, appearance in the show Smallville. Um, she became very powerful within this organization and she would help recruit women into this secret society DOS. And in this secret society DOS, it also was structured similarly to a pyramid scheme where these women would become slaves of, they would literally call themselves slaves over other women in the group. And it became a pyramid scheme whereby um, these women would have to give up collateral on themselves um, to basically create an extortion situation, a blackmail extortion situation that would um, uh, keep them under the control of the group. So they would have to produce videos of themselves saying embarrassing things. They would have to um, hand over nude imagery of themselves, basically providing this organization with their own blackmail material. And this was called collateral, whereby if they did not do the tasks as mandated by their master, then this was hanging over their head as a threat of what would happen to them. They would also... He had in what was um, the collateral videos of the what was the collateral? The um, secrets, anything that they find shameful, anything that would be embarrassing, even if it was falsified, nude imagery. Um, how would you convince people to do this? I don't get it. Um, because you are proving how dedicated you are. This is another aspect of cult or destructive undue influence. Um, he had this weird backward way of empowering women whereby they own their role as women being more submissive. And so to become self-actualized as a woman, to a certain extent, you had to live into this submission, which came in the form of this collateral. Um, collateral could also include you had to pay money. There was a financial cost if you didn't go to the gym one day. So he also had an obsession over women's appearance to the point that several women who he had the tightest control over um, basically became severely anorexic um, to the point that it threatened their health. So the, the, this weird body image thing is also a through line throughout some of this ideology and the group control. Also, controlling someone's caloric intake is a very, it's a very convenient and very easy way to make them incredibly vulnerable to indoctrination. Um, it's another part of thought reform. And so there are a lot of different aspects to it. Um, there are, he had kind of a wing of this operating in Mexico. So there's this whole kind of, um, several upper crust people in Mexico are implicated in um, this organization. Um, there are um, people who are minors at the time who are basically kept locked in a room for years because of the control he had over them. Um, and as part of the way that you become initiated into the secret society and also as a way that you prove your submission 
and that you are not denying your authentic self as a woman, you would undergo this ceremony or initiation where you are blindfolded and um, several women hold you down to a table while one of them takes um, a, cauter a cauterizing tool that you use in a medical procedure, you know, to, to seal wounds and um, stuff like that to prevent bleeding. And they would burn this um, uh, symbol into these women's groins. And um, when you look at the, when you flip the symbol around different ways, you can see that it's a KR for Keith Ranieri and an AM for Allison Mack, who is basically his right hand um, authoritative person. And all the while, while there is another woman who is filming it. And that footage goes to Keith Ranieri or allegedly to the women who survived this and who participated in this uh, initiation. Um, and, um, they had a situation where, like I was saying, the pyramid scheme structure, whereby, um, they knew that there was a woman who was assigned to them, who recruited them into this DOS secret society within the larger cult that was their master. And they had to unquestionably respond to the demands of their master. And as it turns out, they knew that their masters had masters and that it would go all the way up. They didn't know that at the top of the chain, it was Keith Raniere. And through these systems of control, um, women were um, coerced into having sex with him, for example. Um, a lot of forced unpaid labor. Um, there were... Um, women who were, you know, masters over other women who would basically infer that it's like, if you don't do this, I'm literally going to be locked in a cage. Like, that's how insane like, this goes. There were other instances what, what, where... Reminds us, where is this happening? Um, is this in, in Canada, in Vancouver, in Albany, New York, um, and in Mexico were some of the major some of the major locations for this. Although it, it how was do they? I don't understand how these people get away with this. Okay, I I don't pay for my parking ticket in time, and people are on me, <laughs> and I get like people are like oh my like chasing after me, and these people how do they? How do they like? Where's the police? Like, how do these operations like continue? Like, people are like, "Oh, I'm gonna get locked in a cage if I don't do this." Like, no one's like gonna call. Like, is anybody gonna call a cop or like? How do they manage well, to like not any leaks or anybody like all of a sudden deciding like I'm done? I'm gonna report you. How do people get away with stuff like this? I don't get it. Well, I think it just speaks to, and it's a good example of um or we can take a moment to you know raise a little public awareness about how the depths of thought reform that people will take it upon themselves to self-abuse and abuse others willingly and if the police busted in you know there was um a situation in Scientology where the the Scientology, like, um, uh, you know, the people who are actually uh, in, uh, not, they're not paid employees, but they're responsible for the actual operations of the organization. They get put in a place called the hole. Again, this is Scientology. This is not Nixium. And they would do this thing where they would play, um, like, the game musical chairs, but they would basically beat each other up. 
And there was someone who survived that exercise in Scientology. And they said, if the feds busted into the hole while that was happening, all of us would have said, we are here of our own free will. What are you, what are you doing? You know? So, um, a lot of people underestimate how easily something like this could happen to them. They think I'm smarter than this. Um, I, this would only idiots. This only happens to idiots. That's not true. I promise. I promise that this could happen to anyone given the right circumstances. Um, this is an aspect of, um, the insidious nature of undue influence. Um, and I encourage everyone to go look up the work of um, Stephen Hassan, um, spelled H-A-S-S-A-N. And um, he is a survivor of a cult, and he is a cult expert who developed something called the bite model. Um, and I encourage everyone to go look up the bite model um, because it gives you basically all the warning signs that you need to know of a destructive organization um, that has the potential to harm you because it is basically about the extent to which you give up um, the, the locus of control from internal to external. And um, some of it also just has to do with literally the um, control that someone has over your immediate environment. Um, obviously if you're physically imprisoned. Um, but the whole um Keith Ranieri becoming um arrested was a it was a huge issue. He was he was kind of on the run in Mexico for a long time until he was finally captured and extradited extradited back into the United States like fairly recently, um, which is why the sentencing and stuff is only beginning to happen now. Um, but it really took this one woman who survived the branding, um, who she you know, went through this initi initiation and basically she went back to her husband and was like, look at what happened to me. And they left, they called the authorities and, um, cause he was in the cult too. He was in Nixium too. And, um, it, it took some time, but after this one woman went public, it caused, um, every, basically everything to begin unraveling. Um, is the cult still functioning? Uh, yes. Oh, so even after this man's arrest and this lawsuit and $3.5 million, the cult is still like up and running. Yeah, because um, they had uh, operations in Albany, New York, which is where their main headquarters was. I don't know the status of like what things are going on in Albany, but um, like I said, you know, when you are in indoctrinated to this degree, um, people take it upon themselves. They take their thought reform upon themselves. Um, you know, we see this in, um, shoot, what's the, what's the, uh, Chinese communist practice of the, the sessions where they all get in a circle and they, um, shoot, there's a name for it. Um, Basically, the the prisoners will start doing the the work of the the indoctrinators for them, to to prove that they are loyal, that they they believe, and that um that they're 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 doing what they have to do so that they don't get punished. It's so insidious. Um, part of the reason why it's also difficult that um aspects of this organization are still running is because it is international now. 
I wonder how many other cults like this there are who are basically just a little bit more clever than this guy doing all of the things and using people, but not like going with the sexual abuse or branding people with hot draws. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. just taking like just like a pyramid scheme and taking people's taking advantage of people's um you know gullibility and making them feel like they're part of this greater thing and then just like just steal their money you know what i mean like and not go the one step as you know higher and make you know doing some of these things that this man did i mean those i bet you there's so many other ones like that that we don't hear of just because they didn't take it to this level but a lot of people are still like they're made to feel like special the leaders are treated like saints or prophets and they feel like they are changing the world or like eat some spiritual awakening like this is like you know and it all started with like hey you want to sell some shampoos and you want to tell your friends that they could also sell shampoos and all of a sudden you, you're all of a sudden you're worshiping a um cult leader next mm -hmm. thing you know but, yeah, I mean, it's but, these. But there must be a lot of them, right? Like that don't get to this, don't get our attention because they didn't go to this level. Mm -hmm. right? But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, it 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 often centers around charismatic individuals who are um, have a severe authoritarian bent, who are malicious narcissists, um, who attract. Um, people around them because they have an ability to um, present themselves as something authoritative, um, usually through complete deception and falsification. And a lot of the practices that they would do um, to, you know, in their executive training programs, like there was this woman who survived this exercise that they did where they would show people basically the most messed up videos that you could possibly find on the dark web while they were hooked up to like EEGs and um, uh, heart monitors and stuff. And he would say that it's like for a scientific experiment, um, which wasn't true. Uh, they have, you know, ethical review boards for real science um, and basically just show people the most traumatizing footage that they could possibly find to just watch their reactions. Like it's a very just disgusting, um, weird voyeuristic practice of just like tr watching people be traumatized. And there are um, several women who like have severe PTSD from this like practice alone, who didn't even go through like the, the DOS secret society. Um, yeah. And I, um, there's a lot of really good documentaries about this um, organization that have come out in the past few years. There's one, a series on HBO called The Vow, which I highly recommend. Um, if you don't have HBO, there was another series on um, that you can find on Hulu, um, it, or at least a single episode that profiles the woman I was talking about who survived, who really brought attention to what was going on on the inside. Um, and um, I really encourage people to educate themselves about um, undue influence, um, destructive influence, um, so that you can be better at identifying red flags of 
um, when there is a group or just any ideology really that is destructive to you being your authentic, creative, individualistic self, any, any ideology or individual or relationship that is trying to take your control away from you and make you believe that you are helpless and that you need them, that you're dependent upon them. Um, which is how stuff like this even is um, able to continue and thrive. There's a lot of crypto-related cults starting. So, I mean, have already started. What? So. I don't know oh, about yeah. this. Do they worship <laughs> Bitcoin like or Doge? Like, how does that work? Well, people do worship Bitcoin. <laughs> but no, but there's a whole bunch of other different, you know. Also, uh, when it comes to stocks, also there's cults related to that as well. Anyway, mm -hmm. so be careful when people are just telling you about, you know, you know, if it's about man, you know, management skills, getting rich schemes, you know, Bitcoin pyramid schemes, getting rich quickly through stocks kind of schemes, all of these. Just be very, 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 very careful uh, and oh. mindful. You know? and also, here's here's actually a good way to uh, test is like see if people tell you that. They are. They could be wrong, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Or like that's a. I think that's my one of the best way to recognize if you're in a cult or not, right? If somebody's doesn't display any skepticism ever, or like warn you, gives you disclaimers, tells you that you could they could be wrong, tells you that you know um, that they're not an expert at something, that they need to do some of their own research, or well, all their own research. These are. These are things you need to be in mind. It's a good well, way to tell. Go on. Actually, it's interesting. It's the tactic of some um, authoritarian leaders that when there is like, so Jim Jones, you know, the infamous Jonestown massacre, um, what he would do when there was someone within the congregation, because he was a preacher who would criticize him in front of the group, like they would say like, you know, that doesn't sound right. Or, you know, I think you're wrong on that. What he would actually do is he would go back. He would, go approach that person individually and say what you know what you were right that i was wrong but the other people they're not ready to understand that so i'm bringing you in closer Ooh. so that one he has the people who are smarter closer to him but also further under his control and it gives that those people who are actually better critical thinkers the feeling that they are more special these people, do they have like a cult uh, master class that they all go to? <laughs> like, how do, are, are they just smart people who know how to manipulate people? Um, it's well, just I mean, a lot of malicious narcissism. Um, no, but they do have to have a certain degree of just intelligence to be able to do this. But really quickly, I wanted to get full intelligence. Yeah. yeah. No, no, they are object. A lot of them are objectively intelligent. I mean, they're not. They're not intelligent enough to be to be able to foresee that they're gonna go down. <laughs> they're gonna, you know, they're gonna. Some of them are. Anyways, okay. um, which is why a lot of them self destruct. Um, and take the whole cult down with them, like you see with Jim Jones. Anyways, um, I wanted to appropriately credit the woman that I was talking about, who was um, a huge reason why this cult came down. It was actress Sarah Edmondson. Um, who it was the first woman to come forth with um, the abuse that she experienced. And um, because of her bravery and her willingness to take the risk of all of the collateral that they had against her, which was extensive, just biting that bullet and saying like, I have to, I have to do, I have, people have to know what's really going on. Um, 
she really deserves a lot of credit. So I encourage um, people to go um, check out the interviews that Sarah Edmondson has done. And you can um, learn in a lot more detail about this kind of stuff that this organization would do and how it was structured. All right. Um, by the way, Suze, you your knowledge in this is pretty impressive. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lot of detail. Uh, <laughs> thank you for all of that. Um, anyways, can we um, clap for the next news? Yes, we can. It's a Vatican one, right? I have the more right one. Next news. Next news. Vatican announces jarring criminal trial against cardinal, clergy, and lay people. On July 27th, a meteoric criminal trial took place in a makeshift, makeshift courtroom inside the Vatican Museum. More than 10 clergy and lay people went on trial for alleged corruption and massive fraud unfolding within the walls of the Holy City. This trial is the first ever in the church's modern history, where a cardinal is in, uh, investigated for financial crimes. Before the trial, in early July, Pope Francis gave his approval for the Vatican prosecutor to proceed with the indictment for 10 individuals, including Cardinal um, Vici. I don't know how to pronounce Italian. Um, the individuals were accused of extortion, abuse of power, fraud, embezzlement, and money laundering. The indictment listed individuals ranging from low-ranking secretaries to cardinals. The trial includes an Italian woman who worked under uh, uh, Biucci and two brokers from Italy, uh, Gianluigi Torzi and Raffaele uh, Mincione. All right. Is it wrong that I don't trust any of this, like the trial, the fairness of it? The, is it is it is me just being bi being biased against? Am I, uh, being too... I think it's a bias that many people justified. hold. Um, yeah. It's very interesting. So this is um, uh, insane. Uh, development in the Catholic Church because, like I said, this is kind of the first time this has ever happened in the Church's modern history, especially taking a cardinal of the um, level of prestige of uh, Cardinal uh, Be oh, shoot. Be Cardinal B. I'm just going to call him Cardinal B. Um, so he was um, uh, reportedly um, Pope Francis's like, right-hand man. So taking hit someone of his wow. level to task is um, it, it's unheard of. And um, another thing that's very interesting about this is, um, you know, people see Pope Francis as kind of a reformist pope. And um, he actually allowed the structuring of prosecution within the Vatican to be changed um, preceding this trial. So um, normally stuff like this would um, these kind of trials would be overseen by cardinals, um, other cardinals. But for this time, it's actually lay people, you know, AKA like civilians um, who are not authorities within the Catholic church who are actually going to be um, in charge of prosecuting and the um, judicial process of um, this trial. It's very interesting. So, um, 
some of the it's also going to be interesting to see what the fallout is going to be because as this proceeds there's going to be a lot more evidence that is brought forth about the church's financial dealings than probably we have ever seen before um the there was the person who is now an um very high up or senior in terms of managing the church's finances gave a statement that was basically like, we have a culture of secrecy, but for purposes like this, like we need transparency. So through this trial, which um, it's kind of just beginning and reports are saying that it's going to be delayed for some reason, and then it will continue like probably in uh, more in October in a few months. But all the materials that are going to be brought forth about this are going to give us a lot more information about the, um, the church's finances than we've probably seen in maybe ever. Um, it partially involves um, a real estate investment in the Chelsea neighborhood of London, which is one of the like most posh, expensive places in the world to get property. And they were supposed to invest $412 million into a property that used to be a Harrods department store that was going to be renovated into apartment buildings. And um, I'm not exactly clear on what went wrong. There was some, um, I heard tell of, um, there was over speculation on the worth of the property. Um, there's accusations of inside dealing, of nepotism, and um, basically whatever went wrong within this massive investment um, just caused the church to lose a ton of money, of money that was, um, you know, ostensibly given by uh, Catholic faithful, the Catholic faithful. And um, it, it, it involves this cardinal, uh, Cardinal B, um, also giving a lot of money to his brothers in Sardinia for their own charity purposes. It involves him giving money to um, this individual who's been described as an intelligence officer for the Vatican, something like that, like an intelligence official. I didn't realize that the Vatican had intelligence services or something, <laughs> but I mean, it's a country, so I, I guess, um, but it also gives me lots of like ideas for, you know, like, are there, are there like, are, are there none spies? Are there, are there, are there priests who are spies anyways? Um, and this woman who was involved in intelligence in some capacity basically completely misappropriated all these funds that were given to her in part by Cardinal B um, to just buy designer goods um, to, on expensive on expensive foods on you know handbags and sunglasses and all this stuff and so it's just this huge scandal about the complete misappropriation of all this money that is for charity that. Catholic faithful give to the church for the sake of charity, what they think is going to help spread the Catholic message and the love of God and, you know, help their, you know, siblings of God in the world. Um, it just completely flushed down the drain. Um, there's a lot of, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the broad overview. All right, so is it fair? Because I was going to say this, but I think Andrew on Facebook already said it better than I was going to say. 
it seems like what took the church to take action against its highest members was money, not child abuse, right? Um, in in this case, yeah. Oh, I mean, you're talking have... about a double standard. Yeah. And I'm, okay. See, let me find Andrew's comments because I was going to say it before Andrew, but Andrew said it better here. Don't say the R word, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. Andrew is saying the Catholic Church has over a thousand years of child R word. I assume you guys R A P E. Just say yeah. R A P. By the clergy, but it took losing a bit of money on a property deal to change the rules to prosecute a cardinal. Is that fair to describe it like that? Uh, I think so. To be honest, um, I don't have a good understanding about how prosecution within the Holy See occurs. Um, for all I know, that could not be a fair comparison because they could be completely separate. You know, I, I mean, yeah, but I wasn't we don't have any cardinals it. getting in trouble like as they should be, obviously, for the, all the child abuse. Like we don't have that. So it just took them like okay that the red it seems like the red line is like the red line is like you're you're costing us money now so that's like you can't do that I mean mm -hmm. like it's like okay you know abusing children Jesus could forgive you for that but if you take our money we're coming after you <laughs> like it just seems like it, the I mean this is what it comes across to me like maybe mm -hmm. it's not maybe if we know the more I don't know it just seems like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe. you know, uh, I grew up in a Catholic family. I went to Catholic schools. I was a Catholic. I was baptized in the church, but you know, they don't, they don't teach you how the actual structure of the church works. They don't teach you how things are prosecuted. They don't really teach you about much about the structuring of the Cardinals versus all this. You know, So um, that's a little bit opaque to me. But Andrew also had a very interesting comment where he said, nepotism, the term originated with the assignment of nephews to important positions by Catholic popes and bishops. Then he credits Wikipedia with that fact. That, so, <laughs> that's new to me. I didn't know that. So they're charging them for things that they are the original. They invented? Okay. They <laughs> yeah. okay, so here's the thing. Here's another question. What's going to happen to them? Like, Do they have jails? Like, Are they going to... Like, what is it going to happen? Like, oh, we have decided that you are corrupt, and here is a letter of warning. Now go and be a good cardinal. Like, like is that what's going to happen to them? Yeah, I mean, um, I I believe this pos this cardinal has already been stripped of all of his positions and authorities. Right. Um, I don't know if this will cause him to be defrocked. Um, that's a good question, though, because it's not like the... Vatican has a, a penal inst like a like they don't have incarceration, do they? Like, I do, they, do they have a jail? Is there do, does the Vatican have? Prison? Is there a jail under the Vatican? Uh, we need answers. Um, have but jails. and um something that also confuses me about the relationship oh. that the Vatican has to Italy is like there are some um Italian um. A lot of the, the a lot of the lay people involved in this are Italian nationals. Some there's a Swiss national that, who, that's involved. So I don't know to what extent um, their actual like host countries are responsible for taking on incarceration or the actual sentencing or um, penalization of their crimes. It's, I have an yeah. answer. Mm -hmm. The answer is um, the Vatican has no prison system apart from a few cells for pre-trial detention. 
people sentenced to imprisonment by the Vatican uh, serve time in Italian prisons with costs mm. covered by the Vatican. So they outsource it to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> so they outsource the imprisonment to Italy and they just, the Italy's government just sends the Vatican a, the bill. Interesting, interesting. So Italy actually, you know, imports prison services. I mean, Very exports, exports and prison services. Wait, what if I, what if I get imprisoned by the Vatican and then they send me to Italy to go to jail right outside their walls? And then I tried to claim asylum in Italy from the Vatican. <laughs> I don't even know. It's a would mess. It's a, to, it's a I legal mean, mess. Would they... <laughs> um, I need to go to the bathroom real quick. All right, all right. You go. I'll be right back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out with the people. Me and the people while Susie is there. Um, oh, my God. You guys. What would be... What would be... If Italy so one day refuses to imprison people for the Vatican, where would they send them to? Which country would be the next? They would probably have to start building their own jails. Um, Vatican is really just spreading Christianity in the name of charity. The Vatican is not a, is like the Christian part of like the whole Catholic Church is now a secondary thing. The main operation that that's just like the front. This whole institution has become something way beyond Jesus. That's just like the the, the Jesus the, the Jesus thing is just a branding for the Catholic Church. This is like a mafia type organization that exists and just those operations all around the globe with franchises everywhere, and there's just like the imagery of the branding is just loosely associated with Christian with Jesus, but everything else is just separate. Um guys. Oh, Susie's back. Hello. Hello. People were losing people were losing their minds since for the oh, few seconds nice. that you left. All I see is people celebrating the Iranian takeover. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I meant by losing their minds. Anyways, now <laughs> I need to take your. You, you, oh you man! <laughs> okay, let's see what the live chat is taking about. People, people are just. You guys were so. You guys were so happy for me to be gone. Iranian takeover. Army takeover. I. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Persians will take the world again. Persian Empire expansionism. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um. Yeah, it's interesting. I think something I want to do for myself is become a lot more educated on how um, th th um, these like weird detailed structures within the Vatican actually work and the relationship between its, um, you know, so-called justice system with its actual like theological branch. Because um, it just from the outside, it feels so complicated. Um, people are asking me if I washed my hands. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> were, people were people consistent? Did they celebrate white people take over? Um, a little bit. 
<laughs> Nem, de... um... All right. Um, all right, cool. Wait, let me actually bring the next news. Can we clap for the next news? Yes, we can. We can. Okay, great. Okay. Next news. Next news. When you clap your hands for the news, why do you always look like you're thinking about it? Because I'm thinking about like hitting the mic. <laughs> I'm like, you know how to like, clap your hands. It's okay. I, <laughs> I'm just being mindful of the mic. I don't. I. <laughs> All right. Hey. Okay. okay. One more time. Next news. Next news. Secular offense, anti-Islamic separatism bill passes French lower house. Gerard Darmanin, France's interior minister, commented that the proposed anti-separatism bill is tough but necessary. The bill comes after a series of religious violence and lethal attacks. The bill's provisions empower the state to increase regulations on religious schools, ban extremist preachers, and even close places of worship that are suspected of hosting extremism. French President Emmanuel Macron calls the threat of Islamic separatism a, quote, growing counter-society that denounces equality, the, value of the values of the French Republic, and secularism. On the other hand, critics are enraged over the bill's provisions that may infringe on religious rights. Jean-Luc uh, Mélenchon, presider of the National Assembly's La France Insoumise, <laughs> calls the bill anti-Muslim. Macron's uh, La République and March Party initiated the bill's passing in the National Assembly and its affiliate parties on the other aisle. So I wanted to cover this news because um, we have been talking a lot, uh, well, you know, over the past few months about this initiative in France um, about these anti-Islamic separatism laws or this bill. And so it passed the lower house of parliament, which makes it one step closer to being ratified into law. Um, and it has to go to the upper house, which will happen, I believe, in a few months. Um, so there's a um, strong possibility that this will actually um, go through. I believe the upper house has some ability to make adjustments to the bill. Um, they can rewrite portions of it. Um, but I wanted to give an update on this story um, because there are a lot of people who have a lot of um, concerns about this. Um, a lot of aspects of this bill basically um, increases state control. Um, and a lot of people have um, serious concerns about this. Um, one aspect of this bill basically allows um, aspects of the government to shut down religious organizations, I believe, without a court order. Um, and um, th people, there are people have a lot of concerns. Um, and it's also an interesting point to think about um, to the extent to which this bill is anti-Muslim or um, targets one faith or another. Because the language of the bill um, is completely neutral. Um, it doesn't talk about Islam. But the this came about in reaction to this 
growing problem that France has in integrating its Muslim population into its um, society and imbuing the values that, you know, have um, made their country what it is um, in into their immigrant population. And um, it people also have contentions about if it's anti-Muslim or specifically targeting Islam or not, because um, I think in modern French society, it is more of the Muslim population that has a more outward expression of their faith. So just de facto, it will affect them more. Um, I, I have more that I can say about this, but I'll pass this to Armin. Well, I'm glad that it, I mean, it's good. It's a good thing that the bill doesn't target any religions over others specifically. So that is a good thing. Let's be honest with that. I really don't like the part of, that they don't have to have a court order to just close the mosque. Like you would like, you would think that you want to make sure that there's some, there's some checks and balances for such a thing. I mean, this is like authoritarian level, you know, government oversight. They're just like, I don't even need to check with the judge if this is legal or not. I could just walk in and close the mosque. Is that like, an, is that actually what's happening? Because that is, that sounds like horrible. Well, okay. To be clear, that was a um, piece that I learned from an analyst that I was watching on France 24. Oh, okay. So we don't um, know if it's accurate. So... Yeah, so I've, that's just what I've heard. Um, there's obviously a huge language barrier, so sometimes it's hard for me to pick apart exactly um, what is accurate here. Um, but in general, like even like let's just put that specific claim to the side. In general, it does increase the um, authority of government because there are um, much harsher restrictions on homeschooling. Um, it's kind of reinvigorating the government's um, position on um, uh, uh, anyone who works in any public capacity. It could even be a bus driver not having any sort of outward expression of faith um, displayed. So that's, you know, a kind bus of bus driver. Yeah, that's a, bit, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? it it's like public employees, period. Oh, oh wait, is that government employee? Yeah, like a yeah, a, yeah, yeah like bus. Where I live, the bus yeah. drivers are public. Employees. Yeah, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought like the government employees that were supposed to wear religious stuff were people in a position to of authority, like to to you know, like a policeman, not the not the postman. You know what I mean? Because like that's comes across as like. A position of authority like a teacher or a policeman it could be justified that you can't if you want that job you can't be portraying any form of religious symbols because if i'm an ex-muslim and i'm being arrested by a muslim cop you know what i mean that was like okay what is this like i don't know what's gonna happen or like any any religious could be like being broadcasted from a position of authority like a cop is biased from the government, right? But I don't know, if you're an accountant working for the government, you obviously should be able to display any form of political or religious leanings because 
you're just in a goddamn death like you're just like filling out spreadsheets and stuff so that shouldn't be an issue right and i would think that the, you know a teacher i also could see um a school that is government funded should not be marketing any religion because that would be government endorsing if one form of religion over another right so you can't have teachers with crosses or hijabs or whatever um but a bus driver like i think a bus driver should be able to wear what you know any religious symbols they want what is like my understanding is, is that it's public employees period and they they don't make distinction because it, this is how deep the laissez goes it's like yeah. If you are in any role that is, you know, publicly funded, especially public, especially publicly facing, you yeah, cannot. But what are you avoiding? Religious explain, well, display. What problem are you solving by not letting a bus driver wear a cross or a hijab? Like, what is the problem that you're avoiding here? Can you do you know what is the problem that you're avoiding? I, just, I don't I'm, think that there is a like a specific problem so much as th this is the principle. Mm, mm, so, I mean, I'm not a principal. With, the, with a, a particular emphasis on publicly facing jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so for the people who are saying this infringe on, infringes on religious rights, do they have any specific examples? Um, they think that um, there are certain aspects of this that are incompatible with the idea of secularism, like how um, much uh, this can increase um, control over or infringe upon um, religious liberties. Um, like that, the fact that the government is um, putting into place these controls or checks and balances is itself interfering with religion. Um, so they think that there's a hypocrisy or incompatibility there. Um, I mean, mm. I mean they're uh, kind of right when it comes to when it comes to the way that I mean they are not kind of they are right when it comes to how France. See, I'm completely in favor of maybe the Quebec model, where you know what we just if you if we are if you are like a teacher or a policeman then the government can't pay for advertising certain religions, religious positions, right? But I think in France, they have taken it to like, oh yeah, like public areas, you know, for, you know, you can't, like if, you're, if, you're, if your school is taking children to, um, I don't know, what, a museum or something, then your mom can't show up if she has a hijab because the other kids well, might see her. Like, this is like, okay, well, you guys are just, like taking this too far. Yeah, go on. You're talking about something that was proposed in the French Senate. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't believe that that has been passed at this point. And I also disagreed with that because that um, disallowed anyone under the age of 18 to wear the hijab, even in public, which I think is way too far and way too authoritarian. Um, yeah, but the fact that that's even suggested, like, it was suggested in France tells me like, and there's popular support for it. To a me, lot. this is like, yeah, to me, it's just that France is now like moving beyond upholding secularism and actually just, you know, it's, it's going beyond removing religious privilege and seem, seeming to push for actually infringing on people's rights. You know what I mean? Like you could, like, we have to be careful just because we are, uh, we are, very much in a, 
in favor of noticing how religion is has abiding by different rules than other people because of their religious privilege and if the government comes and removes those privilege privileges we are in complete favor of that and we celebrate that and if, whenever people scream all oh, our religious rights are being violated usually we notice that no no religious rights have been violated it's religious privilege that is being taken away and there it just looks to them like religious rights being are being taken away there you know but it's just treating people equally. However, we have to be careful because if we keep cheering, you know, we have to be careful. Like maybe there are certain instances where they are moving to the situation where they're going beyond removing religious privilege and actually violating people's rights. So we can't just always assume that every single time that somebody is complaining about their religious rights being violated, every time they're wrong every single time it's the religious privilege being taken away we have to like evaluate each one of these cases you we can't come up with like a general rule like we have to be like maybe in this case it is a violation of the rights right um or rights that they should have but that maybe they don't um but yeah i can't tell what's happened i can't tell okay it's it's also possible it's also fair to maybe know for some people to be skeptical about why we looked at the law and the law doesn't seem to be violating anyone's rights. The language seems to be really carefully written. It doesn't seem to be targeting any religion over another. However, we're concerned about the way this is going to be executed. Like that's also mm -hmm. a legitimate concern, even if the mm -hmm. law seems to be bulletproof and nobody could highlight anything in the law that is actually a violation of anyone's rights. It's still a reasonable concern to have when people say, like, I want to see how this is going to work out in practice, right? But I, I honestly can't tell um, because we don't have enough legal expertise to be able to dissect this. But I'm just saying be mindful uh, of not supporting um, people's rights being violated just because they happen to be religious and you happen to be an atheist, right? Like, mm -hmm. stand for people's rights, you know, no matter what. But go on. Yeah, I mean, um, I think... Uh, both of us have concern about measures that, um, you know, really increase the power and authority of uh, government, um, just kind of on principle. Um, uh, but there are also a lot of things about this um, bill that we support, like um, you're uh, not allowed to do virginity testing. Those who do do virginity mm -hmm. testing will be criminalized and prosecuted. Um, more um, controls over um, homeschooling. Um, so in, unless there are severe medical circumstances that necessitate otherwise, um, a lot, um, there's, there's more, um, issues involved with um like uh polygamy basically and um trying to bring in more uh people from another country under the guise of uh marriage and um polygamous marriage and there was something else um oh, shoot there was the the homeschooling the virginity testing oh and um uh religious organizations have to have much more transparency with the government regarding if they have foreign funding and they may require um like accreditation on a certain level um when they're receiving um foreign funding and um one thing that's a little bit sketchy 
that I need more information and about is about um, the extent to which the government can shut down organizations that they deem to be extremist. Um, Cause there is an aspect of the bill that involves that. Um, but I don't know, this is very interesting to me. So I um, just saw my aunt who I haven't seen in many years and she's been living in Paris um, for over five years. And um, this is something, I've, a story I've been following for, you know, the past several months. And I wanted to ask her opinion because um, I was like, you know, from the outside, we get all these reports of, you know, this separate society and it's so isolated and it's just different and they don't hold our values, blah, blah, blah. And it's um, some people say that there are parts that are, you know, maybe areas that are explicitly dangerous, you know, these like no go zones, blah, blah, blah. So I was asking her opinion about it and what, you know, um, what her experience is because, you know, um, like with the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, if you were listening to Fox News, it would seem like it was the whole entire city versus like if you if like I went and it was like, you know, six blocks, which itself is really bad. But, you know, it, it gets exaggerated. And um, her opinion was like, yeah, no, there really is like a felt separation. Um, they self-segregate. Um, a lot of immigrants and um, they don't um, uh, recognize the authority of um, many French, maybe judicial processes. And um, it, it creates a huge problem because they're just not becoming integrated. Um, there's an interesting statistic, like something about 46% of immigrants in France are from um, former French African colonies. And, um, because of what's going on in the, in the Sahel region, um, this is just going to continue. Um, there's going to be a huge influx of, um, African immigrants because they're from former colonies. So they already speak the language. And so this is a place where they have a lot of opportunity. Um, so a lot of people also say that there's an element of racism, um, with this bill or possibly the way that it will be applied, um, because of, um, uh, where where people are coming from and um there are some people who say that this is france reckon reckoning with its colonial past um that it's it's created um, a really bad situation for a lot of these countries with left a lot of people who are now you know the descendants of this colonial past that have few options except to come to france because there's you know supposedly more opportunity for them and they're equipped with the language um but they arrive and there is um a lot of unemployment there's a lack of opportunity for these people and so what happens often and situations especially um, among youth who are immigrating um is they find community and support from religious organizations um so it's a very complex problem um yeah armin yeah so first of all with regards to a lot of the things that you mentioned from the bill they, they sound a lot of them sound fantastic right like they are they like, let's just be honest like the bill i mean we are concerned about over government overreach but a lot of these things in the bill seems like really good ideas and they're not government overreach like why was this not illegal already for example like some of these things that are now they're tackling right so and it's easy to defend this bill because we have a lot of examples in this bill that you could celebrate as a great idea 
but it just seems like if there are any misuses of this bill, it's just harder to find. You know what I mean? But we just want to be careful because I don't want to completely endorse something that could like there might be something hidden in there that we don't know of that could be used as you know as a way to violate people's rights. But overall, it just seems like a good bill, right? Like, and and when it comes to fighting segregation, um. And I'm just being careful because I don't want to endorse government overreach, right? Um, but the segregation part, if it's done right without people without violating Muslims' rights and all, if they will find a way to solve that, the main people who are going to benefit from that are the Muslims, <laughs> right? Um, like this, they are. I mean, I've been to Paris and I've been to the Muslim area compared to the rest of the area. I mean, you don't want to live like that. If you could manage to create a way that to to make Muslims in France feel more French, more as part of the society, more part of the education that gives them the skills that they need to do their jobs. Like this seems like a bill that is a lot of people think like a lot of like idiots. Um, including one guy in our live chat thinks like, yeah, this is anti-Muslim. I, I love, and he's a, he's a, he's a bigot and he's, he's funny because he thinks like we're hateful, but he's one of the most hateful people I've seen in the live chat, but he, because they're celebrating, oh yeah, show it to the Muslims. But again, this is, I see, I see this as if it's done right in favor of Muslims to become part of France, feel more French and use mentioned that. You know, a lot of these people feel lack of employment, lack of opportunity. Well, if they are, if Muslims in France are felt like like actual citizens of this country, not like second-class citizens or people that are don't belong here, um, if they are welcomed into this nation as equals as with everyone else, so much so that these people don't have to rely on this tribal community to feel like a sense of belonging or protection. They could look at their government as a source of that. They look at they could look at other French people as their fellow uh, countrymen and women. Then, then it's, it's, you know, French people might be upset about, oh, this looks like we're scared about this. It's going to, you know, a lot of them are scared and like security wise, and that, that might improve for them. But, the number of Muslims' lives that would improve because of the the normalization of them among other people and normalizations of others among them, and the more and the the more opportunities that would become open to them because the rest of society accepts them and they accept the rest of society, will benefit them in s such dramatic ways that I can't see like. Anybody not seeing this as a pro-Muslim bill? You know what I mean? Like, this is, I mean, the intentions behind this, I mean, again, the execution could be wrong. Don't come at me if, like, all of a sudden they, these bills are used in a way to violate Muslims' rights. We're like, I mean, you were wrong. I don't, I'm being skeptical. I don't know how this is going to be executed. But the motivations, if you look at the language behind the motivations of this, was to protect Muslim women, <laughs> right? <laughs> to protect... When we when we say oh, like oh you can't treat women like this this is illegal, what women you think they're talking about? <laughs> they're not talking about non-Muslim French women. They're talking about Muslim, like this is a 
and I young girls like, who don't have yeah. a decision to be brought up in a culture like this. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is an effort by the government to protect Muslim women from Islamic practices, right? So this is in this is a government taking care of its citizens. Which citizens? The Muslim citizens, like trying to protect them from harm. When we when when the government is coming in and saying, like, okay, children need to get these education, you can't just Muslim parents can't just raise their kids in a bubble and just like brainwash them and not give them the essential skills for them to become and the communication skills to be able to be a productive member of society and also benefit from society. This is again the French government and coming in and protecting its French children from their parents. Again, these are French Muslim children, not Muslim, children of Muslim parents being protected by the government from their own parents. So again, this is a this bill is a service by the French government to protect the Muslim community from itself <laughs> and from others. So again, there's a lot of things to celebrate from this bill. However, be skeptical and be mindful, right? We, you're not dismissing if you are being like, you know, wor if you're worried about government overreach and worried about people's rights being violated, that does not mean that you're not dismissing the fact that a lot of the suggestions, a lot of the things in this bill is going to be beneficial, okay? You could do both. You could be like, yay, but we're also, we're watching you. Yay, but this could, we're skeptical. We're, you know, we're skeptical. We're happy, but y'all, this is, might, might be giving the government too much power over here, but overall pretty good, you know? Well, it's it's really interesting because there's also, well, first of all, like there's still steps for this to um, really come into full effect. Um, but it's also happening in the context of the French elections are coming up. And um, there are a lot of accusations from more left-wing parties that, you know, the centrist President Emmanuel Macron is being pulled to the right because of the far right politicians like Marie Le Pen, who say that he's not going far enough. Um, so it's yeah. it's really difficult. It's it's a it's a really difficult situation. Well, that's another reason why people, a lot of Muslims in France, might not understand that this is saving them. <laughs> because if you don't do something about the segregation then you are popularizing extremely right-wing parties in France. Like, it's in your in best interest to let this happen unless you want a government. This government is not oppressing you. Well, seems like it's not oppressing you, right? Again, we're being skeptical. However, if you don't let these fixes go through, you will get a government that is extremely oppressive against you. Right. So this again, this bill is in the within the interest of the Muslim population in France in so many different ways, especially future generations. Right. Like if this is like I want I want Muslims in France to feel, you know, as French as Muslims in Canada feel like they're Canadian. Right. And they, they don't as much. I mean, I'm not generalizing everybody, but I'm just talking a about better honest. example would be America. No, better example would be Canada. Come at me. <laughs> just like, Aren't there studies that the Muslim population no, just, in America is better assimilated um, and integrated into society than in Canada? 
it was a joke, Suze, given that you're American and I'm Canadian. Oh. It was like... <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> like, it's better in America. I was like, no. <laughs> all right, Me, USA. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right but um, yes we'll be seeing how this evolves over the next few months because there's still a bunch of steps for this to really um go through the parliament and all that all that stuff yeah um yeah we'll see we'll see um I, hey i get to say i told you so in either case if it turns out everything was good i was like i told you it was a good bill and if it ends up like actually violating Muslims' right, I'm like, I told you you need to be skeptical. Either way, I was right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I also wanted to cover this because we promised our community that we would be, you know, following this closely because it's important to us to defend enlightenment values and also call out when people are actually violating enlightenment values uh, when they say that they're actually, they're, you know, supposedly defending them. So, yeah, people seem to think you are. Anyways, um, can we clap for the next news? Yes. Yes. Next news. Next news. Facebook complies with Indian government targeting Canadian atheist activist. So Wait, as you guys know, yeah, who is this guy? Um, last news always has to do with Atheist Republic, and we have a little bit of a bombshell today. On July 8th, 2021, it was brought to our attention that the personal Facebook account of Armit Navabi, the founder of Atheist Republic, was blocked and unavailable to all users in India. Not only does this prevent any user in India from accessing his page, Navabi is not able to even message any user in India. This cuts off a leader in our organization from a wealth of friends from our organization's largest presence in Asia, as well as numerous volunteers and team members that contribute to Atheist Republic's thriving community. The alert that many users see when they try to access Arminavabi's page states, quote, you're unable to view this content because local laws restrict our ability to show it. This is the same message that Indian users see when trying to access the Atheist Republic Facebook page, which you guys know um, was blocked upon the directive of the Indian government. This is a strong indication that Navabi's page has also been blocked because of a direct order from the Indian government. Facebook has taken the unprecedented step of complying with an authoritarian government's order to deny a foreign citizen access to an entire country. I honestly feel so honored that an entire government is not going after the, our, they already went after our page with like 2,400,000 followers. So like they saw it as a threat. They saw our Facebook page as a threat for them to take legal action against our page. The government of e India, I thought that was a big deal. They requesting, the government of India requesting Facebook to make the, our page inaccessible in India. But these people actually, that wasn't enough. They went after my personal account. The government of India requested Facebook to completely deny access to my personal, just little me, right? 
this, like I honestly think that they make they're gonna make my ego. I honestly like I'm this is a this is dangerous because they're taking me so seriously. I don't know if I'm gonna take myself so seriously if the government of India is asking a gazillion dollar company that oh this Armin guy he's such a threat to our country that you need to remove all access. He should not be able to message any person from our country. Guys, look at the screenshots. If I want to message, like, my, like, obviously, I didn't violate anything because if it was anything that I violated, Facebook would just ban my account, right? So it's not like I did anything wrong. But India was, like, is threatening Facebook that, you need to remove access to my account or else like you're not abiding by Indian law. Like, look, if somebody, if somebody wants to send me a message from India, they get like send failed. Like, or this weird this. glitch where it just says Facebook user in like a blank image. Yeah. So if they want to access my face, like other people from other countries, if they access my personal Facebook page, they can see my account. But if you're doing that from India, unless you're using a VPN or something, it says like you don't have access to this page from India. And if they want to send a message, there's like they say the message was failed. Guys, I honestly think like these people are so scared of me. The government of India. Hey, govern government of India. Boo! <laughs> Like they are actually, they're actually, no, no. They're Look at this terrifying face. <laughs> no, like I think Modi is having nightmares about me. Like this is like some extreme measures. Wait, has this has this happened to um, anyone else? Like has anyone's personal account been? I've never heard of anything. I've never heard of anything like this before. Could I be the first person that, like, instead of a page, the personal account of somebody is being blocked in an entire nation? I also think like we made history. Like this is like how many governments that we have after us now? We have the Iranian government, the Malaysian government, and now the Indian government. Ooh, I think uh, it, the P Pakistani government blocked our Pakistan. page in Pakistan as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so I think Indian has been the most. India is more most... aggressive against you than Pakistan and Iran. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the most butthurt of all nations. Look at this, guys. India, actually, think about it. Yeah, you're right. Actually, look at this. In Pakistan didn't like us, and they're like, but India has gone way beyond Pakistan into trying to make sure that anything I say is not heard in India. Oh, by the they way, they know who they, you are. Yeah, they, they like, I'm like, they have ha filed a lot of legal. By, by the way, for people who don't know what this is about, we draw some Hindu goddesses. Okay. Like, the butthurt is this about, is about cartoons of Hindu goddesses. Okay, this is what they're butthurt about. This is what they can't take, like, not what they describe as like a danger to their entire nation and like hateful acts against like Indians. Yeah, they're talking about us drawing Hindu goddess Kali. This is what made the Indian legal system to take all these actions against us so by the way they also managed to remove susanna's twitter account uh, block access to our facebook page coming after me now personally which is amazing block our website oh. on many isps yes and also took um us 
to the Supreme Court in India. <laughs> well, that wasn't the government that did that. That was just a lawyer. Who I know. Was I'm harassing just us. All the, yeah. Yeah. So lawyers in India took uh, took the um, the case for Hindu goddess Kali all the way up to the Supreme Court. So which is, but the again, court gave notice that it would be heard. Yeah. When is that going to be heard? By the way, do we know? No, we don't know. India's oh judicial God. system is notoriously way, overworked. Guys, if you I see some Indians in the live chat saying that they're feeling shame about this. Guys, don't feel shame about this. It's not you are um you guys don't didn't do um anything. This is like don't be ashamed of something that your country your government does because you didn't do it, right? No, you had you um, didn't do any you didn't contribute to this at all. Yeah, yeah, but but I kind of like this because this is like we. I, I'm hoping that we're the first. I'm the first one because we kind of made we made history here. Uh, oh, by the way, if you're watching this from India, uh, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. Link in the description because that they can take away. Right, our newsletter is growing, and it's becoming more active, and that's the best way to make sure that you get content from Atheist Republic, which is our. So the sexy Kali, Hindu goddess Kali, is what started all of this. But ever since then, we have made up to 100 now um, beautiful blasphemous art, which we give away on our newsletter. And our newsletter, so make sure you subscribe to our newsletter because we send you important content, but also amazing blasphemous art, which are glorious. Uh, how, but this, them trying to uh, censor us in Pakistan and India um, motivated us to make sure that we have access to our audience in other ways, which is our newsletter. Our newsletter is very powerful because we have like uh, the open rates are much higher than what you get on social media, but also it's something that is our asset and nobody could actually ever take it, that away from us. It actually started us, this whole thing motivated us to make our, take our newsletter a lot more serious, seriously, which has paid off. But can somebody figure out if I'm the first, because I think this should be added to my, um, you know, accomplishments, achievement unlocked kind of thing. If this is like, I want this to be like, this is like a medal, like a badge of honor. If an entire nation decide, is so threatened by you that they have to block you in an entire country, like have to make a request to Facebook to block you in an entire country. And if I'm the first that this has happened to, not I'm not talking about pages, I'm talking about personal accounts. I want to know if I'm the first, okay? Yes, I'm well, not, here, yeah, go ahead. Well, just to give a different perspective on this, I want to. Um, Andrew is bringing up a really good point in the in the chat. He's saying make it about the individual rights of atheists in India not being a, being blocked from messaging Armin. So I think about this okay. kind of in the perspective of like um, I'm going to paraphrase. I believe it was Hitchens who said that you know when free speech is not just about what is what you are able to say; it is also about what you are allowed to hear. So Indians government is now making the authoritative decision that Indians are not allowed to hear this. They are not allowed. They're denying Indians the right to just our ideas, our exposure, who, what we have to say as individuals under the guise of it being a threat to communal safety, communal harmony or national security. Um, and, um, there's a lot more information I have on this that I don't know how much I can say publicly. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, the reason why we didn't talk about this earlier, cause this happened in the beginning of the month is because um, I needed to speak to our attorneys in India. 
um, about this and about what legal recourse is available to us. So I want people to know that um, I'm working with a team um, who's representing us and um, we're going to see what we can do about this. Um, but I think I just want to emphasize um, Facebook's role in this, right? Because Facebook is an American company. Um, they portray themselves as a company with progressive values, um, with the values that um, are a very important part of an American identity, um, the foundation of which is free speech protected under the First Amendment. And although they are a private company, um, Facebook is a full member of something called the Global Network Initiative, which is a consortium of companies, universities, and NGOs that agree to uphold principles based on international covenants and standards set forth by the United Nations, specifically to protect human rights and advance free expression globally. They're a signee of this initiative. So they have... Um, they have agreed to international standards of protection of free expression, right? Um, that I find this to be a huge violation of that agreement and the principles which they say they have. Um, the fact that Facebook is hypocritical about this isn't really new to anyone, but I find it... Um, I, I just want to really emphasize that there is, you know, this American company that supposedly has these values, which is allowing a in complying, being an active participant in a foreign government taking action against a private citizen who is not even a national of their own country. They are taking action personally against a private citizen of Canada. And they are allowing the Indian government to do so. You want this, to is, read this, this is a huge problem. And I think it. I've never been aware of anything like this happening before, yeah. to my knowledge. All right. Here's the thing, though. I, um, I mean, it's hard to also be in Facebook position when you have mobs attacking your offices when you don't you know, when you don't comply, you know, it's really bad in India right now. Uh, by the way, you want to actually talking about it being bad in India. Do you want to read this? Um, yeah. Uh, Deep Pankar is saying in India, things are really bad. The government and its agencies are designing a strategy that will force free thinking people to self-censor or keep quiet because of fear of government action. Yes, this is very true. Um, a story that we still haven't touched on this that much is the the leak that occurred regarding the extent to which the Pegasus software from the Israeli company NSO Group has um, penetrated um, globally. And a big part of that leak was the fact that the Indian government is using spyware against its own journalists to determine their sources spy on them, take action against them, um, and potentially prosecute them for sedition. Um, it, 
the extent to which um, the the government in India is strengthening its authoritarian powers is shocking. Um, the IT laws or IT rules that came into effect um, a few months ago is another very severe indication of how fast things are and how severely things are declining in India um, in regards to personal freedoms and the right to privacy. Um, it's extremely concerning and I wish that more people highlighted it, um, which is why it's something that I uh, care so much about. And I, I take the time to cover here on this show, um, even if it isn't explicitly religiously related um, because um I don't know. Here at Atheist Republic, you know, we we care about our fellow humans and, you know, basically one in every human on the planet lives in India. And um, we uh, we we want to we want to highlight um, what's going on in, in, in the continent because it's it's really concerning. And there are a lot of people I care about and um, that live there or, you know, and um we have a great desire to improve the quality of life of people around the world. And this includes um, personal liberties, um, including many Indians. I want to officially recognize uh, the Indians government as the number one butthurt government in the world. Um, no other government is just, I mean, other governments have done more human rights violations and stuff like that, but the fact that you know getting so butthurt over cartoons makes you take such drastic measures shows you know it's just so pathetic um, and funny uh, if it wasn't tragic to the atheists who were li not living in india right? you know what i mean or just um, everyone in india really yeah everyone in india you're right um, it also also i just want to congratulate a whole bunch of hindutva who are who are keep their wanting to defend their country against uh, Pakistan, and yet they have somehow managed to become try uh, try to they have managed to get their country uh, closer to Pakistan than any other group of people, right? Mm -hmm. They have mm -hmm. you know they have they are you know the similarities are so ironic because these are the same people who are the most aggressive anti-muslim and anti-pakistani bigots you will ever ever find i mean maybe china would be uh, ahead of them but other than china these people are number one when it comes to their hatefulness and their bigotry against muslims um but yeah and but now they're adopting the same practices so india again congratulations you're becoming more and more like Pakistan every day. Um, and, you know, I mean, not India, because we're talking about Indian people. Let's say like Indian government or the BJP. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to group all Indian people yeah. with, with what the Indian government is doing. In fact, I want to celebrate all the Indians in India who are fighting against this nonsense because your activism is so needed. needed so needed like you guys are on the front lines and um you know we 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 try to use atheist republic as a way to also highlight your work um and bring attention much attention to your needed activism right and don't worry like the fact that we're not you know facebook doesn't have access to india doesn't mean we're going to stop we're going to keep using all the other tools that we have right 
including mm-hmm. our YouTube or our newsletter. We'll, we're not going to stop these people. It's, a, it's interesting how uh, a giant, the world's biggest <laughs> party is fair, fair to say the world's biggest party, right? It is. is yeah. Yeah. Is, is fighting against me and Susie. <laughs> Like, 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 just me and Susie against the world's largest uh, party, and they still don't manage to uh, shut us down. Like, these are authoritarian governments that are desperate, that are crying over the fact that they don't have any power beyond their borders, right? Yeah, that we make cartoons in the offices of our like bedroom, and yeah, (laughs) this is the extent to which they take it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, I also yeah. just wanted to encourage people to look into the work and support the work of um, the Internet Freedom Foundation in India. Um, they are on the forefront of protecting digital rights in India. They do amazing work. They have a lot of resources and a lot of educational content about the status of um, digital rights in India and the threat to digital rights in India. And they become um, legally involved in fighting the infringement of um digital rights in india so i would really encourage you guys to support their work because um the work that they do with their lawyers goes a really long ways in fighting um authoritarianism especially in the 21st century yeah by the way i think it's funny there's a there's a we we do have a hindu find the live chat that is screaming for attention it's just crying for butthurt, which is so funny um but yeah guys make sure you subscribe to our newsletter link in the description um and also please 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 if you are um an secular activist um or atheist activist or any other type of activist uh, in india please don't let this don't think like we are you know highlight you know don't let don't let yourself be grouped this is not none of these actions should be a way to be for you to feel like a judgment is being passed on you okay we Mm -hmm. we celebrate you and you are you know you are more on our team than any association you might have with anything as disgusting and, and dark as the bjp okay you know so when it comes to association and you know belonging we see the atheists and secular activists in in india on our team the fact that you well even i mean yeah even just indians in general i mean when we were going through the yeah. real the real hurricane of just really horrific abuse we were experiencing for the original uh, sexy kali blasphemy so many just believing hindus reached out to us and yes. said we support we're, we're, what you're doing. We're horrified by what you're experiencing. I'm sorry. And a lot of them felt personally responsible for it. And I always said, no, you're not. You didn't do this to us. And the support that you're giving us yes. as it, it means a lot. Yeah. And also to the non, n- non-Indians, uh, be careful not to use this as a way to generalize your judgment about Indians or Hindus as a whole, okay? Not even Hindutva, actually. We actually met even some Hindutva who were sympathetic to us and were disgusted by the way that these, some of these people were uh, behaving. So And actually um, made an effort to get us help. Yes. Believe yes, it or not. Yeah. They deserve yeah, credit so, for that. Yeah. So don't use this as a way to judge, you know, a- an entire group of people. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is fun. Um, I, I'm... <laughs> I know. I'm glad that 
you know, I, I want to, I, I know this is sad for it because it indicates what other people have to deal with, but it is a medal of honor every time for me when a, a government of a country is threatened by my, by our content, like by mere words yeah, yeah. or cartoon. It's like, you guys are so fragile. Like, I mean, like I'm poking an entire government. This is like, if like, I don't know, it's hard not to feel like someone's <laughs> somewhat of a, like, okay, well, if you guys want to take me this seriously, I guess I'm going to take myself also this seriously. Well, I, I said this in an Instagram post when we got the legal threat. Um, you guys can check out the video from last week if you want to know what I'm talking about. But um, where I said that um, this is only a humor situation to me because I have the benefit of not living under Indian jurisdiction. Um, but because I, um, you know, am basically free of consequence just because I, I don't live under their control, I'm going to always take this opportunity to highlight, you know, the, um, environment that other people are living under and the real justified fear of, um, what they have to deal with. Like, this wouldn't be funny. This wouldn't be funny at all if we were in India. It'd be, it'd be so much worse. Oh, by the way, some uh, some people are saying if there's a proof uh, for this. Guys, yeah, the link to this article is in the description. Um, all the links for why this was the actual government of India that did this. Like, we have an entire legal team that looked at this. Um, if you want to actually go through it, the link is in the description. Um, you know, so, by the way, it's actually also common sense if you are not smart enough to understand this. Like, uh, just Occam's razor will, you know, but we ha we do have the proofs. However, the Facebook would not just ban my personal account in an entire country unless there was a government pushing them to do so. And we it wouldn't be getting, thing. and we wouldn't be getting notices that it's blocked because of local laws. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they actually tell you like people just maybe try reading be before commenting, but yeah, it, it, it is definitely because of the government. Okay. So, I mean, well, nothing is definite, but it just says, it tells Indians that you can't see my profile because of local laws. And the government, you know, Facebook had to manually come and remove my, uh, remove access to my account in, in, in an entire nation, which is again, it's like, I still can't believe like that's the level that it has come to this, right? It's amazing. I, it's something to feel like this is a dream or something. Anyways, I mean, uh, again, a real for me because I'm the number one person who has to deal with your new inflated ego. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I I happen to know that you like dealing with the legal team because it's just all it's such a great team and you know going over. Yeah, the, they're, they're awesome people. Um, yeah, and it's only because of our community that they connected to a, uh, they connected us to our legal representation in India. So I owe a huge debt to um, the people who are responsible to connecting us to our representation. Yeah, and the, the way they connect things together and come up with their conclusions is pretty like it's kind of like a, we should make a movie out of this one day because <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I think yeah, we should go. I don't know. I think the legal team wouldn't let us be public about a lot of the details. But if we could oh, be no. public, if we were allowed to be public about what's going on behind the scenes, this would become a very interesting <laughs> movie. Anyways, uh, guys, link in the description, both to the article, so check it out, and also to our, our newsletter to make sure that if we are 
completely nuked out of every social media platform that we still have access to you. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. They will never be able to silence us from there. Uh, they're going to try. But again, um, thank you for everybody for supporting us and also for making us not have to worry about our finances after all these attacks. Because another thing that the Indian government managed to do for us is introduce us to a whole bunch of new people who are now supporting us financially. And me and Susie are now completely... Uh, financially secure because of well it's not BJP. just us it's our entire team we're just the ones yes. who are publicly facing yeah but yeah exactly so our we basically we are now able to cover our expenses again these people are not very smart when they try to attack you because they always end up helping you in some way um anyways um i'm gonna go now anything you want to add before we go no i had so much fun today oh that's great okay okay all right bye guys Bye. <laughs>